it is time to tune up the band and work yourselves into a shoot, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. And oh boy, for this chapter do we talk about wacky on this one. Joining us for this episode is a dear friend of mine. You may know him best for his channel, Wrestling With The Narrative, but he's also a training a professional wrestler and mixed martial artist extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Squill! Howdy, howdy, everybody. <laughs> uh, yes, this is very much the work yourself into a shoot episode. <laughs> It's a, oh, it is a pleasure to have you on, Squill. Um, if anyone doesn't know, um, I I work with Squill on his uh, on his over on his channel editing his videos, and uh, you've done a you've done a stellar job thus far, may I say, starting out, sir. Hey, I am trying my best. Like this whole thing was just like I was watching uh, like over like let's say like twenty twenty or something. I was watching like Joseph Monticello, and like that's what really like change a lot of my perspective on wrestling so for like the three subsequent years ideas have just been like bubbling over in my head <laughs> and this is just it being unleashed into the internet it all comes back to joseph doesn't it guys it's all his fault <laughs> it genuinely is all his fault we mentioned him in the second episode and now he's just become a constant of this podcast <laughs> and the wider wrestling fandom dare we say friend of the pod dare we say, say that. I, I mean i mean i work with the dude so i'd say he's friend of the pod beautiful beautiful Look, there are people like there are people i've given that title to which are far more tenuous <laughs> <laughs> i mean i consider school friend of the pod because i work with the dude as well he keeps the lights on in my house so <laughs> I have you can we can we consider going forward Nobuhiko Takada, friend of the pod? Entirely. I mean, to be fair, we considered Jeff Jarrett one. We've never actually spoken to him, so... Alright. Man, now I want Takada on the podcast. Uh, have, you, have you been, Dan and Reardon? I've been alright, actually. It's been a pretty, pretty good week, all things considered. Glad to hear it. Yeah, no, I've I've been uh, I've been doing all right. Um, had to have my uh, my teeth sorted out. Don't worry, I don't have like turkey teeth or anything like that. Um, but my, yeah, it's left me in a bit of discomfort, which I'll say. But I will soldier on for the good of the content. The rumors of Dan getting brand new veneers have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> they have been. <laughs> they people are unfamiliar with my game. <laughs> No, I was going to say, now, now I'm picturing you, Dad, with Steve-O's veneers. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I can't get that image out of my head. Anyway, uh, we give you this podcast. Thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. Guys, I have no idea what this, this episode is going to be about. I am completely clueless. The only thing that I can hold on to is the fact that we are always pending other platforms and always will be. That's the only thing that's going to get me through this episode. So, I mean, all I can go. say, Reardon, is that you're going to be far more interested into the inner machinations of Japanese wrestling. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay. Who said that Japanese wrestling is a gonzo world? This like, will, like... 
help you realize how gonzo <laughs> if you thought that like anybody in america was a carny dear lord the carnies that exist over in japan well, the, they're really good at it the, 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 the secret is we're british so there's no stranger to us no that is oh, no stranger to i was gonna say the only difference is the japanese do it with style because they do it with That's the yakuza <laughs> There's an argument to be made that the Yakuza have brought us, like, better entertainment than, like, Hollywood in the last 20 years. You know, thinking about it, the, 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 um, the, 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 in terms of media, the, the over-under on the, on the, on the Yakuza versus, versus, like, just, like, the regular mafia, it's neck and neck. I mean, let's be honest. To be fair. Mafias be putting in numbers to get some work out, to get some work going. True. <laughs> Let's be honest. In terms of the video game market, the Yakuza have had it down for ages. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's true. Shout out to the Yakuza series, by the way. And shout out <laughs> to the creator for just being absolutely batty. <laughs> Shout out to the I, actual I, I, Yakuza. I, I, the white I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we can do that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if we can call the the Yakuza a friend of the pod. I, don't know um, the, the, I believe the answer to that one is we need to speak to our lawyers, which means we need to hire a lawyer first. The views of Squill are of him himself and not of the Sweet Chin Mac podcasts. <laughs> Oh gosh, before we get on to our episode about the batshit insane world of puro MMA in the 1990s, <laughs> it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. Wrestling news. You see, Squirrel, we don't have any pre recorded stuff. We just do it on the fly. <laughs> yeah. It keeps well, it I can tell. Keep the we, could, we, we could easily do this. No, we, yeah, we just we never have. But it's part of the creative process. It is. Look, look 150, nearly 150 episodes in, why would we change? <laughs> what ain't broke, don't fix it. What, you didn't want to make Sam do more work for like two seconds of audio? How dare you? No. <laughs> um, I'm going to start off staying in Japan for now, just because it's a nice tangent. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously have New Japan Dominion coming up. Yes. Uh, my two big highlight matches that come out of that are um, obviously Yota Suji having joined Lij, love it. Yes, I'm hoping that his time in Mexico really shows really shows off because he really has stepped up his game even since we saw him at um, Royal Quest. Yeah, he really has. And even then at Royal Quest, he was at, he was doing absolute bits. So love <laughs> it, love the Yota Suji development. Um, but the the main one I want to talk about is. Uh, Hiromu Takahashi versus Master Wato, right? <laughs> Wato Mania running wild. I can't believe it. I'm going to see my boy finish the story, climb the mountain, get that uh, junior heavyweight title. It's time. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> I hopefully, hopefully, I'm hoping. I really am hoping. It's it's crazy to like when people say, "Oh yeah, Sonata's champion," and Yota is going up against him in the main event. You know what? For me, it's like you know what I kind of like the sound of that. I'm honestly, not, I'm I'm not I'm not mad at it. Like, admittedly, I personally I believe we're a couple years past the Sonata title reign. Like, it should have happened by now. Oh yeah, he really mm. should have adopted early nineties uh, uh, puro wrestler a couple of years ago. Honestly, at this point. But but like, I'm I'm to- I'm totally here for it. 
And to be fair, with everything that they're doing with uh, just five guys, love it. it. It's quite good. It's not the most refreshing of things, but I think, I think it's quite good. Also, can I just say, I am so happy that we're getting um, Chaos versus the Blackpool Combat Club for the never open weight six ta- yeah. six man titles. But we're that, getting that Shooter. Cool. We're getting Shooter and Mox finally back together. That that is that is absolutely absolutely awesome. But oh. I think what I think what really does stand out with me for this is that this is a uh, an IWGP title match which is having two people that are like traditionally traditionally outside mm. this, the general scene obviously like sonata is normally about there but to have sonata versus yodasuji um doing this i think is awesome i think it's a good little bit of like a passing on moment and uh, opportunity to introduce some new people i love if sonata keeps doing this giving some people who aren't as normally going to get title shots to do that i think it's a good opportunity to like bolster the main event scene yeah i mean Again, there's a bit of a weird flux period. Let's be honest in terms of nudes, and it has been for quite a while now, where yeah. you where we're seeing the with the established names coming down, we're seeing more people going up as well, and it has been very up and down, honestly, with who who they've been putting the the world heavyweight championship on. Um, I'm liking where it's going. It it's it's that thing of kind of we'll see where it come where where we're at come forbidden door as well. Yeah. Because I think that's really going to shape where where the company's going to go from this point forward. I mean, we've got this, but then we've got David Finley versus El Fantasmo for the Open Weight Championship, and I'm just like, oof. <laughs> yeah. Know? It is in fact one of the matches of all time. <laughs> oh, the God. Bullet Club is still a thing, but no, Ta- Takahashi versus Wato. We're here for it. Come on, Wato, bring it home for my fellow Master Wato enjoyers. <laughs> It's time. It is um, time. Anyway, <laughs> uh, moving over to WWE, um, the undisputed Universal Championship was unveiled for Roman Reigns, and all I can say is, yeah, the uh, the gold is not making that Universal belt look any better. <laughs> it's. I feel like it's the laziest title redesign I've ever seen. I don't even. The thing. The thing about it, though, right, is it's almost. I. The problem. The problem is, it's one of those things of like. You know, people say if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. There's 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 a point where I feel like something's just so shit that you can't <laughs> redeem. God, what is? Uh, I have a few feelings on this belt. You see what I mean when someone said "piss belt" the first time the uh, the first week I saw about it. It looks like it. What does it look like? It looks like a belt got mixed in. With a corn on the cob? <laughs> See, here's the thing. My friend said to me, and he was like, oh, you know what? When you see it live, it's better. And when I did see the, like, uh, I saw, like, the video they released about him getting it, right? It looks good with, like, the, the light shining off and everything. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still that template, and I still just despise that template. And I, I know that... <laughs> The branding is the important part here, right? That's an inevitable piece of fact because major American company. But yeah. <laughs> like, surely there's a point where you just realize you're sacrificing style and substance. 
right? Yeah, I get what you're saying there. Here's the and thing, like, gentlemen. Like, I'm, not say- I'm not saying we need some, like, Art Deco maximalist <laughs> belt. But, like, I need something a bit more than, like, you know, you know the corporate artwork style? Yeah. I can't yeah. remember what it's called. There's a proper name for it, but, like, corporate artwork style. That's this belt. <laughs> Spring back the fiend belt. <laughs> Hell yeah, bring back the fiend belt. That's what we that's what we need in this yeah, world. Wow. I'll tell you this much, this will surprise you. This title design, one way or another, has been around longer than the spinner belt. Really? Yeah. Dear God. I'll tell you this but, much. Someone in corporate must like it. <laughs> On the other hand. Corporate love it. It's got the Massive, lo- massive one of their logos on the front of it. Every person that buys a belt is just doing free advertising with their massive logo they want everyone to see. I blame Dwayne. I blame yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All I Dwayne know is the belt which had the champion bit at the bottom and the V. Yes. Yeah. Look, all I know is that the spinner belt is eternal and forever. That is yeah. never going away. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I have my own qualms with the spinner belt. <laughs> but 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 at least it's something like... I feel bad. I feel like I'm being a contrarian saying at least it's something different. But like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, 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 it exists in its own space. This is purely just a corporate logo. <laughs> hey, look. As long as they keep giving these belts away to Super Bowl winners, uh, NBA finalists, World Series champions, John Stewart, they'll keep making. They'll keep the same design for as long as they. <laughs> My WWE champion Nikola Jokic. <laughs> when is Stephen Colbert getting his title? That's all I'm saying. No idea. <laughs> Whenever they design, whenever they decide that it's time. All I'm saying is they're never giving one to John Oliver. <laughs> Yeah, um, but going with that though, uh, we had this weird promo that I'm going to try my best to sum up. Please do. Uh, in in which uh, Solo Sokoa said, um, "I can't basically, I can't do any. Like, I'm I'm probably misunderstanding this. I'm probably misunderstanding this. This is how it was explained to me. I haven't seen it yet. But basically, he said something about to the effect of like, I can't do anything to." Like Jay and Jimmy, they're like my brothers, and then just spikes them <laughs> because sure, and then chooses to be on the side of Roman, which I assume means we're getting some kind of like solo and Roman versus the Usos, in which the like Sammy and Kevin will get involved or something. Answers on the postcard, please. <laughs> Uh, it's a continuation of the bloodline story, Dan. Don't read into it too much. I won't. Because now we have truly, truly passed past the threshold of one thousand days, and now we're gunning for two thousand. Oh dear God! <laughs> yeah, we're, gu- we're, gu- we're gunning for like five years at this point. By the time he's sixty-five, Cody is still trying to finish the story. No, it's... I don't know. Um, but. Uh, just to wrap things, go on to uh, a few other bits. Uh, CM Punk announced for AEW Collision. Uh, one of the things I've seen out of that is apparently CM Punk is very uh, interested in getting Jay White on Collision as well. Interesting. So, Interesting. Interested in that. Um, so, you I know other names, seen... names that have been touted have been Andrade and Miro. 
so should have seen the announcement tony uh, the 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 video package that they put out on that episode of dynamite where tony khan announced uh debuting or returning at adw collision is cm punk that is the very thing that cm punk hated the reaction it was the john cena reaction yeah i mean (laughs) my my thing with collision is i'm almost excited because we could end up with like dynamite which is going to be like the the show with all like the crazy stuff on it Mm. and then collision is going to be like the potentially the reasonably booked show But Brian's, well, Brian's the one that's going to be helming, kind of like in terms of of creative uh, producing as well. I believe Brian's going to be. Well, what I've seen, what I've seen for Collision is that the creative team is being headed by CM Punk, Ace Steel, and Brian Danielson. So I have to assume it will be reasonably booked. <laughs> You'd hope. We we can only dream. And then of course so, we've got Ring of Honor. I mean, Ring of Honor. The thing is, Ring of Honor looks like it, it's it's. I mean, admittedly, their their cards are far too big. <laughs> but but to be fair though, they're booking some good stuff on there. They, it's, it's honestly some really tremendous stuff. Like Shibata's pure reign at the moment has been a thing of freaking beauty. It's just basically mm-hmm. been a title reign where he's just gone fuck them kids. I'm I see he's ascending to his point in the puro hierarchy, <laughs> which is old wrestler whose job it is to just beat up younger wrestlers that's it <laughs> by the way great match against lee moriarty on rampage yesterday yeah also a really good match with alex Coglin as well yes yeah, master I, versus... I haven't seen i haven't seen the moriarty one but yeah the Colin one was ooh, oh a master and student match is just like will always appeal to me greatly and that one was just like oh <laughs> yes that's heritage right there that's heritage <laughs> oh. um but yeah no ab- absolutely awesome um yeah, they've got some. They've got some really cool stuff on there. So I'm, I'm excited to. I get the feeling it's going to be like if I want reasonably booked matches, it's that she's going to have to be Ring of Honor and uh, Collision. But then, like again, we can have Dynamite for having like I don't know, like Commander and Drillistico doing crazy shit. I mean, what's the general consensus over in the US school about that? What about Collision and and Punk being returning there? It. I mean. I don't talk to enough people to really get it like a great meter of this, but like my friends who are at least casually into wrestling, as much as there's the joke about like the mythical casual fan, <laughs> punk being around is generally pretty fucking good for business. Mm. So I mean, it's like there are definitely some people who are like, "Oh, the collision, the punk show." Yeah, I'll tune into that. So there's just a lot of that sentiment. Hmm. If anything, I guess it'd probably trill up the last few thousand tickets going for flipping all in London now. Probably. Because <laughs> he is a draw. As as we've said a number of times, for us, there'd probably be two names that would probably sell out Wembley. Punk and Sting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, as much as, like, Punk, when he's on television, you can't not watch it. Whether mm. it's good television, whether it's bad television, whether <laughs> it's a brawl for all backstage, he's doing something interesting. Yeah. This 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 is true, and this is the uh as I guess this could call the 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 mystery of punk, basically. 
The and that's like a bit of a lot of the discourse post all for all or post bra- uh, brawl out for me has just been like, well, you realize you could be like really talented and like be a dick, right? Like it's like it's both. Yeah, it's a lot of talented people, especially. Those, those, those are not. Do you know what industry we're in? Ideas. Yeah. This is the yeah. wrestling industry, for mm-hmm. God's sake. Yeah, yeah. I get it. On. I'm just kind of like, all right, cool. I'm I'm gonna just wait for this guy to blow up again because that seems to be what what he just what he does. It's 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 crazy, isn't it? As as we said, like when it, as soon as it happened, as we as as I stated, it's like again. I just want to reiterate to everybody: nobody won in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> no one did. So choosing sides is kind of pointless, and it still yeah, is even much. today. So again, it's that thing of cool. Everything's back. We've got a brand new show. Cool. Awesome. Great. Remember. Remember, no one wins. Everyone's a dick in wrestling, <laughs> except if your name's Eddie Kingston. <laughs> Or Kenny Omega, for that matter, because he saved Larry. As we said, I feel the only person in that per- in that situation that won was Kenny, because he picked up Larry and took him away from the situation. Again, this is, this, is, this, is, this is the wrestling industry. <laughs> this industry is pr- basically predicated on people being pricks. <laughs> <laughs> it has a rich and storied history. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, at least we've got Fight Forever to look forward to at the end of the month. Oh, yeah. By the way, surprise the hell out of me that Cody Rhodes is still in the game. Nobody makes sense, though. It's true. It's true. But I would have thought it would have been it... it would have been a bloody legal nightmare to keep Cody in the game. Probably, probably not, though, because they probably could have said, well, he was under contract when we started making it, and he agreed to use his, his likeness. This is true. Actually, no, this reminds me of the Kurt Angle situation. When he was on SmackDown vs. Raw 2007, though he had been contracted at TNA for at least several months before that game came out. Yeah. Or like when uh, 2K22 came out, when you look at the 2K20 roster since they took like a year off, like half of that roster was actively uh, wrestling in AEW <laughs> by the time the next game came out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm ex- uh, excited for it. Yeah. Uh, just to close out the. Um... Pending soon, the 1,000th episode of Impact is coming. We never thought we'd see the day, boys. It's it's crazy, isn't it? The little company that could, all the way back, around this time in 2002. 21 years, and, and Impact is still... It's been around longer than fucking Monday Nitro. The the fact that Impact has survived and Monday Night Nitro has not is proof that we live in a world that just doesn't make sense. Just think about how different this universe could be. <laughs> we could have a universe where A, Impact doesn't exist, but B, we could have a world where Impact is still a legitimate like mainline show. Still, still pulling like, not like WWE or AEW numbers, but pulling like maybe four, four, five hundred thousand. A good, yeah, I'd say a good million, maybe on its on it on its on a good day. I mean, we say that there's a universe where where 
Impact never went through the hell that it did, and then they are this they they take the place of AEW. You mean Impact never employed Vince Russo? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, with that though, we are done with the news. Lovely, lovely stuff. It's time to head over to Recommendation Corner. Reardon, what do you have for us this week? Guys, how, how do we feel about Spider-Man? Brilliant. Yes. Love Spider-Man. <laughs> um, yeah, my recommendation is Across the Spider-Verse. Hell yeah, brother. I, You know, I don't know what else to say other than, like... This one seems like really obvious. Everyone's going to see this movie. It was packed when I saw it. Damn. People were happy and a, people apl- people applauded like I've like everything on like social media has been nothing but positivity, which is strange. <laughs> it's been a while since I've just seen nothing but positivity about a, about anything. Anything. <laughs> 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 so um I'm going to go see it again because it's Spider-Man. This is one of the easiest recommendation corners I've ever had to do. Just go see across the Spider-Verse. I guess it might be a mild spoiler for me, but I I'd be I'd be foolish not to ask. Uh Reardon, mm. does Japanese Spider-Man make an appearance? You know, the emissary from Hell Spider-Man. Okay. So, here's the thing. There are a lot of Spider-Man in this movie. <laughs> Like, a lot. As far as I can tell, no. But... Pending a second viewing. (laughs) Maybe a second viewing, he's there. Or, like, this isn't a spoiler to say that there's going to be a sequel because it was announced ages ago. Yes. (laughs) So, like, if he's not in there, I fully expect him to show up in, in the third one because that's the one that everyone loves. Yes. Everyone loves Japanese Spider-Man. <laughs> Everyone loves him. That's a recommendation. If you've not seen it, see the Japanese Spider <laughs> series. See, watch, watch what gave us Super Sentai. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Alright, but with that, it is time for our main portion of the episode. The Puro MMA boom of the 1990s. And as with all great stories when it comes to Japanese wrestling, of course we start with people being pissed off by Antonio Inoki. <laughs> as a matter of fact... Such is the root of so many conversations. <laughs> as a matter of fact, though, maybe I should go a little bit further back. Because I guess if, we, if we're going to talk about Japanese MMA... It would be remiss of me to not at least talk about, I guess, the progenitor of what would become of shoot-style wrestling. And of course, it would go remiss without talking about Ali versus Anoki. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, well, as we'll get into the rest of this, I think the key word here uh, for the rest of the podcast is uh, fragile male egos. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty and much. That's just... Again, wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Well, this constant shift we're going to see throughout, like, all of, like, Japanese pro wrestling and MMA from, like, the 80s to the 90s is just the idea of, like, legitimacy of, I think it's perhaps something a little different um, from Japan to, like, at least, like, from what I see in America is that, like, when people talk about, like, no, 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 pro wrestling isn't fake, right? (laughs) Most of them were not willing to step into the ring with uh, Muhammad Ali. So, 
you know, that's maybe a little bit of a difference here. Or, like, later on, you know, um, Fujita getting in the ring with Fedor Emelianenko. Yeah. That's a different mindset. I think, I think like, the American perspective is, like, <clears throat> legitimacy in terms of, like, this is not predetermined entertainment, but, like, this is a, this is a sport. Yes. This is a, we are preserving a contest. Whereas the the Japanese mindset is much more tuned to, no, this is a legitimate combat system. And, like, I understand why, this is something, like, I was talking about, um, actually, with my coach, the guy who trains me, uh, shout out to Jake Oman. Uh, he's, a like, a product of, like, that um, mm. old, like, uh, HWA kind of system. Oh, yeah, yeah But yeah. He, he was talking about, it's like, when you have a bunch of guys who are, like, you're surrounded by dudes who are absolute killers when you're like a Noki, right? And you have Carl Gotch over there, and he's a former like Greco Roman Olympic wrestler. If you're surrounded by killers and you are one, you're going to start to think that just anybody you train can become one. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And you're going to be slightly deluded in doing so. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I, I often draw parallels with this between. It's not quite exactly the same, but. You know the world of, like, martial arts people, they get drawn into their own hype? Oh, absolutely. Our Lord and Savior, Steven Seagal. Yeah, kind. Yeah, pretty much. I, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I've trained with this wrestler, and, you know, they were trained by this guy who was an Olympic wrestler, so clearly that translates. And it's <laughs> like, no, this is not, like... We're not talking about like chemical states here. This it's is not lit- some kind of hyper fine transition. Literally, the entire martial arts world are just doing one upments of "I've been training your Jedi arts" by Count Dooku. <laughs> and so I think it's the like, most. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so it's like I think like some wrestlers get trapped in this like this loop of like ah. Well, I was trained by this person, and this person was trained by this guy who did MMA at one point. So clearly, I could do MMA. <laughs> Absolutely, I was gonna say that. Just, I we it's been so done to death. We don't really need to recap Anoki Ali, but just the I, the most important thing for the rest of the story, I think, is what it sets as this precedent that, like, if anybody questions professional wrestling, you should go fight them. Yes. That, yeah. No, yes. That is literally, yeah. and that's literally how that match uh, came to be. Honestly, I hadn't actually watched like the fight itself until fairly recently. I didn't realize that Ali is that comes way closer to winning that than like, uh, or rather, Inoki comes way closer to winning that than like Ali does to doing much of anything. Because he almost taps him out to like a, a leg lock at one point yes. from his from his ass, and I'm like, how did he? Okay, this this is the this is the unbridled insane genius of Anoki. Because as I've said in a couple of episodes, we talk about this. It's like Anoki knew full well that it was unwise to strike exchange with Ali. <laughs> so what did he do? He laid on his ass and started kicking him in the shins. <laughs> That man did irreparable damage to Ali's knees. He kicked him, as a matter of fact, I think the number is 107 times during the match. He basically set the precedent for all 
well, I'm not going to say he set the precedent. This is a meme, but he set the precedent for all the BJJ bomb scooters. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> bomb scooting was already an established BJJ technique. This is true. Point, this like, is true. Know. I've one fact I forgot about that uh, about that um, the Inoki Ali match. It was actually refereed by the one and only Jean LaBelle. I don't know why, but for some reason my brain was just saying that you were just gonna say, oh, heaven, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew it wasn't, but I was just like, for some reason I just felt like you were gonna say it. <laughs> Ring the damn bell. <laughs> Ring the damn bell. <laughs> also, did you know that Ali actually ended up, in preparation for that fight, ended up training with the Sheik? Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, what? What I would have loved to, to have seen. I would have loved to have seen how to Ali start a How to start a fireball, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say because is this the original Sheik? No, this is the original Sheik. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say because like the Iron Sheik had amateur experience, so I don't know what OG Sheik is teaching him. <laughs> had to use a fork in a professional wrestling match. How to hire a fork in boxing gloves. <laughs> oh, gosh. Although, that being said, though, all of this, it sold incredibly well uh, across the seas. As a matter of fact, Vince yeah. Sr. Sold, uh, sold tickets at Shea Stadium and drew a crowd of nearly 33,000. Are you kidding me? If I saw someone saying they were going to fight Muhammad Ali, then I'd be like, fucking hell yeah, I want to see this. But would yep. you believe that Vince also, Vince Senior also booked his own wrestler versus boxer match oh, at I'm Shea sure, Stadium? I'm, I am sure every single fucking promoter at the time was like, we need to do this now. Uh, but the match was Andre the Giant versus Chuck Wepner, a journeyman sort of boxer. Oh yeah, Chuck Webner, the yep. greatest boxer of all time. I'm sure he did great. Again, I'm I am sure every single like went fifteen rounds of our lane on. Then he he's claimed to fame. Can can we have a confirmation on whether or not like British wrestling at the time had Henry Cooper involved in them? I wish I wish there was uh, a shoot contest between Anoki and and Henry Cooper. That would have been freaking awesome. But alas, no. But we did get Anoki versus Willem Ruska, which I felt was like re- karate versus judo was quite a, yes. was quite the thing. But this was at the time where Anoki was obsessed with going up against different disciplines of fighting. And you know what? He mostly didn't embarrass himself that much, which I have no. always been kind of impressed by. <clears throat> Mm. Well, I think I think the thing is though is that Inoki at, at his core is a very shrewd man. <laughs> yes. He he I don't think he's one of the people that isn't going to take on like he's one of those people where his self-belief is so high it almost becomes an advantage. Yeah. It's amazing what I you can do I, when you just lie to yourself. I think he presents himself with so much confidence and so much like he, he definitely strikes me as the person who does not go into something unprepared. Yes. Because, it, it, like, we're, talk, we're talking about this, and it's a thing we'll get to later, um, but something that is an inevitable point of contention for me anytime it comes up with people I train with, which is Kazushi Sakuraba versus Gracie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, which, we will yes. get, which we will get to. <laughs> we will get, oh, yeah. we'll definitely get to. But, All right. Oh, God. But, but, sorry, but, what, but one key point about this is that, like, Sakuraba at least knew the prospect of what he was doing. <laughs> And was like, well, I can still kick the shit out of him, so... 
<laughs> There's that, at the very <laughs> least. Okay, so let's go to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Let's start where it all where it all kicks off. And the general consensus for a lot of wrestlers there is that it's um what's the words? It's uh not real enough. <laughs> Which is like I don't know like how much 80s New Japan everybody here has watched, but like most people who are like like wrestling would watch a lot of 80s New Japan mat work and be bored because it looks too much like amateur wrestling. Mm. So the idea the idea that this was like just the idea of them back in the day saying like no no this looks too fake is like insane to me. <laughs> it's it's crazy when you consider the man of course who was who was the founder owner and was head of the training school basically was teaching these ki- these kids catch wrestling. <laughs> yeah, this... Carl Gotch is sitting over there like yeah. teaching you how to like break people's arms in half. I called it the Satoru Sayala. It's just like nah, this ain't real enough for me. That, that's that's the thing about it. The <clears throat> the first part about this is entirely like unprovoked. <laughs> it's just him looking at it and going, "No, we could make this realer though." <laughs> It's like, can you? Because then, like, because essentially, I mean, like, the result of this, they go form UWF. But, like, UWF, because it's like, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, but, like, it's mimicking a sport that doesn't exist yet, if that makes any sense. Yes. Because, yeah. like, because, like, if you look at blood sport today, that's very much like a callback to UWF. And we would describe it as, like, MMA-style pro wrestling. But because MMA doesn't exist at the time of UWF, it's like one of it's like a speculative uh like future of sport is the only way I can describe it. Because mm. it's like you know when people it's would draw spe- like what a f- it's a speculative evolution of sport. Well like you know when people back in the day would draw like in like eighteen hundreds, they draw what like a flying machine looked like? Yeah. Yes. Just, yeah. Like, this is what they thought like MMA would kinda look like. <laughs> the the what I, what I, what I love about that is like and I'm going into a concept which is far too high culture for this. <laughs> this is like <laughs> this is like some weird fucking like future future looking back <laughs> at sim like simulacra. <laughs> it is this thing which is a reflection of something that does not exist yet. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and that's the, the fucking insane part, is as as we'll go on later, it's like, they were presenting this as all very real, and so later once we get, like, Valley Tudo Japan, uh, and, like, MMA starts to become more prevalent, they have to change the presentation a little bit yeah. and get more into that, but it's the idea of, well, it's, um, I now can't remember, uh, who said the part of unprovoked, but yeah, it was just like, it seems like an unforced error, because this is still very much in the time where they were didn't have to protect what they were doing as much. So they could probably yeah. just could get away with, like, yeah, Noki's a tough, badass guy. We don't really need to, like, couch this in any realism. Because, like, look at Vader. He's scary. Like, yes. what, did, what do you really need to do from there? <laughs> yeah. Vader is Vader. He could kill people in real life, let alone wrestling. Alright, this... I think the, the, the thing with it, and this is my biggest thing, at least when, like, looking at it i think the biggest thing that just changed was just like the visual trappings around it yes which is like 
we're going to make this more real by making it look less like what you expect pro wrestling to look like. <laughs> Pretty much. It's it, it's it, it, the more you, uh, the more I was watching into it, and the more we, I saw it evolve, the more I started to realize that again that those lines were really being blurred, especially in the early '90s, especially like where the presentation was still very much pro wrestling, but the the actual in ring um the in ring product itself, the guys going at it, were like, oh no, these guys are truly wailing on each other. <laughs> And both I mean, of them... it definitely feels like it when I watch those matches. And if you watch, like, uh, UW, the original UWF, which runs from 1984, and then there's, like, a little blip with the newborn UWF, but essentially 1984 to 1990, if you look at, like, New Japan around the same time period, the in-ring product is actually not super different. Mm, unless, yeah. like, occasionally you'll bring in, like... um a like gaijin talent who's just wrestling a more american uh you know pro wrestling style yeah and he sticks out like a sore thumb if you actually look at it it's like the mat work and all that's the exact same they're just insisting that this one is more real exactly <laughs> exactly so whilst on the subject of uwf let us talk about and start off with this the most the the, the kind of one of the very first and very most prominent promotion uh, shoot style promotions and the main players within uwf akira maeda nobuhiku takada uh <clears throat> oh sorry <coughs> sorry i'm just i'm so i'm so taken aback there dying. yoshiaki fujiwara and of course the original tiger mask satoru sayama all of them decided ah. wrestling needs to be more real <laughs> I mean, Which... well, so Say Sayama had kickboxing experience, didn't he? Exactly, yeah. Wasn't that, wasn't that his thing? But I, I, what I like there is we're now at the start of the Nobuhiko Takada arc. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> and he's like the second most annoying person in this promotion. So, like, and that's, and that's the an... impressive part, that he's second. <laughs> so oh, I, to describe Nobuhiko Takada to Riordan, basically, he's every year eight secondary school kid who claims to know every single martial art and has a black belt in it oh no oh, <laughs> well, i was going to no. say uh, i'll say takata is the is like if you took a noki right and you right. boiled away like a lot of I, I can only describe it as like the purity of a noki of like he had this um like weird belief in humanity and like himself if you kind of boiled some of that good stuff away and just kept like paranoia and being a carny, you'd get Nobuhito Takada. Oh dear God! <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep. So no, you know, brokering combat sports as a way to unite nations together. Takada releasing hostages. Nah, Ex fuck that. He sees the bag. <laughs> no collision in Korea. He's just like, give me that money. <laughs> I mean. Maybe the no collision career is a good thing. Yeah, this is true. I'm still here's yeah, the thing, Squill. Three years and I've still not convinced these two to be able to watch Collision and Korea. You ain't gonna convince me to watch it. <laughs> I don't need that in my life. I don't if need no, it. If there's no collision in Korea, how's Kensuke Sasaki gonna get his wife? Exactly. I keep I mean, telling these two. No, right? No. Listen. Okay. I've all the stories around Collision in Korea awesome i yeah. love them because they just show how much of a cryptid fest wrestling is <laughs> but but the actual matches i'm okay yeah yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Fair. 
fair. Yeah. As a as a historical as a historical event, it can stay. As an actual wrestling event, no, I don't need this. A little fun fact. I oh, will get straight back into it with UWF. So, a little fun fact. Just after UWF was founded, the president of the company, Hisashi Shinma, actually brokered a deal with the World Wrestling Federation. Ah, yes, that grand promoter of real wrestling. <laughs> yeah, when I found it out, I was... Because once again, we're talking about it being an unforced error that tried to go make real pro wrestling. Yes. When I found that out, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so if, if I believe this was the deal that was able to get Satoru Siyama over to Madison Square Garden. Probably. And have those uh, couple of matches against Dynamite Kid during that time as well. Uh, but also, Kira... Sorry, I'm sure that there was a whole bunch of finagling about to make stuff work for this. <laughs> but Including then, a few people selling their souls. This is true. I guess Kira Maeda did as well, because he toured, uh, He did a tour cycle with the WWF back in, I think it was late 84. Um, also, fun fact about Kira Maeda. He was also part of World of Sport during his British excursion, and his name was Quick Kick Lee. Wow, we we uh, weren't we old, weren't uh, we weren't subtle about Asian stereotypes in good the old-fashioned British racism, <laughs> right yeah. there. This is like this is like uh, I was talking to uh, Blair of Pro Wrestling Outsider uh, the other day, and we were talking about like how not racist a lot of uh, Ricky Steamboat's presentation was. Man, that like that uh, British scene where everybody was Bruce Lee's cousin. Yeah, Man. oh my god, it, yeah. it's so bad. <laughs> like, I could defend World of Sport for people like Johnny Saint, uh, Les Kellett, uh, Big Daddy, to a certain degree, but I can't defend them for what they did to fucking Jushin Liger, Akira Maeda. The, the, the even more random part about it is, it was always Japanese wrestlers. Mm. Yeah. Like, they would yeah. have Eastern European ones, and like they might make like fun of the name or like the language in like the middle of a match or something. Like um, the uh, uh, the, the one we watched forever ago, uh, Johnny Sheslaw. Yes. Um, where they make a point out of him. I'm using air quotes. Speaking Polish, uh, <laughs> it's not. Um, and they make a, they make a funny bit about it where Lesker it's like, oh, what the hell are you saying? But then when it came to Japanese wrestlers, they just come out with the most what I or what I only ever describe as auto-generated Japanese name. That's just yeah. so baitly racist. <laughs> Quick kick Lee Kendo Nagasaki. Kendo oh, Nagasaki God. was played by the British person. <laughs> I know. I but they, but they I, position him as being Japanese, and that's the problem. <laughs> I remember reading of, like, from The Good Immigrant, which, shout out to The Good Immigrant, it's a really good book. And talking about, like, there was an, I, I can't remember, like, there was an Asian, like, British person who loved him and did not know until, like, the big reveal that he wasn't. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, he, you can imagine... The feelings towards that. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> so would you like to know how the original incarnation of UWF ended, fellas? 
Oh right. boy. What have we got? So, uh, basically, it ended the exact same way the disillusion of all of those wrestlers in New Japan kind of ended, although it was much more violent. <laughs> so, Sayama and Maeda, of course, were kind of the big the two names within the UWF. And both of them were becoming very successful in draws in terms of of the company and of the company hierarchy as well. Although at this time, a lot of people were under the impression that Sayama had a little bit too much creative and booking power. Basically, he was booking himself to win all of the time. <laughs> Based. <laughs> so yeah. it was one match. It all came to a head in September of 1985, where Sayama and are in a match. And they both decided, you know what? I have had enough of your bullshit, and I am I am just going to shoot on you now. <laughs> what I love is that the two of them. I like to envision that the two of them had that idea at the exact same moment. <laughs> Basically, I think and, it was what... just 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 to reiterate. Hi, here's why you don't give wrestlers creative control and you let someone else handle it. Thank you. Exactly. Doesn't work for me, brother. Doesn't work for me, dude. There was a. Would you believe that they actually they were booked into a second batch right after this one, where <laughs> guys, please don't shoot on each other. Where, please promise on it. Where Akira Maeda clearly miffed off from the first time, decided to <laughs> to end the match by kicking Satoru Sayama right in the tiger masks. The fuck? Oh he kicked him yeah. square in the groin. <laughs> oh no! Ah uh, yes, my favorite, my favorite real move: taking someone to dick kick city. <laughs> I mean, a... that is a real move. Time immemorial. No, it is, but it's also just an instant DQ. <laughs> <laughs> and would you believe it's an instant firing because Maeda was suspended and later fired by the UWF. Oh my god, I'm so surprised. What I love is both men immediately basically take their ball and go home, but in yeah. the weirdest way possible of Maeda, or uh, rather uh, Tiger Mask, Sayama, he goes and creates Shudo, which still to this day is a functioning MMA promotion, which I'm actually very impressed by. But he basically decides to go make his own martial art, which is a really interesting like uh, just decision-making tree to me. Hence why I was going to say is that now there's an MMA promotion out there started by a man who wrestled in a mask. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The original Tiger Mask. <laughs> Classic Coke Tiger Mask is just out here doing this. But no, I was going to say this brings us to the next promotion we talk about because now here we start fork uh, like going into different forks. But let's start with Shuto as a result of this. Sayama clearly miffed off wanting to do his own sort of uh, his own thing, his own take on full contact shoot wrestling decides to form Shuto, which originally started off as a fighting system that Sayama created and eventually would go on to form a fully-fledged mixed martial arts promotion. I believe that Genesis happened... Right, so it forms in 1985 as its own fighting uh, system, and then I think it was in 89 it becomes its own promotion, and uh, still to this day is considered one of the very first true MMA uh, competitions. Um, and one of the most legit, I'll note, because it had, yes. the, had some of the least amount of fixed fights, which is like... Mm -hmm. 
There were no completely clean promotions in Japan at the time. <laughs> there was something about the spite of Sayama, I think, where he wanted, he was so pissed at pro wrestling that he wanted to go do, like, a, a pretty clean promotion. Yeah. Yeah, so with... And again, that's in, that's impressive by the standards of the time. Yeah. <laughs> he ran a promotion with minimal fixing. <laughs> so, he brings in Carl Gotch to teach people the uh, catch wrestling and eventually uh influ- gets further influences from kickboxing muay thai judo and sambo and mixes them all together in this hodgepodge this 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 cauldron of martial arts that he terms shuto or or if, if memory serves me correct he started calling it new martial arts but eventually which is awesome i think it's that's so cool like uh, I can't remember the Japanese translation for new martial arts, but um, eventually he ends up becoming making it shooting, which basically came from the which directly lifted from the term in professional wrestling, and eventually called it shooto to avoid the confusion with shooting sports like clay pigeon shooting and all of that. That's yeah, that tracks. <laughs> I just can't imagine. Like, can you imagine if like Steven Spielberg came out tomorrow and was like, "I'm making new." movies and you're like what the (laughs) fuck like just the balls on that man to just go out there with new martial arts yeah he's still wearing a tiger mask exactly (laughs) yeah i I think that's a very important thing to i think it's very important to reiterate that for me that in during (laughs) this entire time he is still wearing a tiger mask yeah he he is still tiger mask as in the tiger mask that has an anime about him yeah (laughs) That's something, like, I don't know how, like, when I go into, like, my MMA, I go, now that I'm off on summer break, I go into MMA, like, three times a week, typically. I don't know if I could take a jiu-jitsu class from a guy in a tiger mask. If if I went into my jiu-jitsu class and I saw a guy, like, in, like, a, re- a, a, in terms of a wrestling mask, I would not know how to respond to it. <laughs> Actually, on that note, this is just a, a patented American story. Um, my brother is an amateur wrestler c- currently in a, in high school, right? Mm-hmm. And at one point, he came in, and his wrestling coach was in a Rey Mysterio mask doing drills. So Unfathomably based. Was I he agree. wearing the, the head guard on top of the, on top of the mask? Like, that's the question. <laughs> no, no, no. When you get that old, you just have no spines and like no brains. So there's nothing really to protect. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm just debating now. Like, do I whack out the Sinkara mask for when I go for when I go and do contact training? Like, thing is, nowadays I feel like I'd be more, I'd be more receptive to uh, being trained by someone in a wrestling mask rather than like someone who looks like Dan Seven. <laughs> well, you just like, have to hope upon hope when you walk into like any martial arts gym, especially uh, jujitsu, that they're not a white supremacist. Oh, hey. <laughs> I've had, I I have had to have that uh, thing by going around to different gyms. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh, okay. as I as I as I as I as I've said to you before, um, when we spoke about this before, when I started jujitsu, um, there are lots of people in it who are really cool, and when I mean that, I mean they are really nice people. <clears throat> like I have met some absolutely brilliant people from like doing training sessions at gyms, or whatever. And then just every so often, like, you go along, <clears throat> and then someone just says something. Mm. And you just kind of sit there, and you're like, 
Huh? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no, but well, I'm happy to say, as far as I'm aware, my current gym that I train at is awesome, and no one there is a white supremacist, to my knowledge. Basically, all I've said... I will also say that about my gym. I will say this, I guess, as, as, as a unanimous thing towards the sweet chinwag, where I say can safely say, fuck the Gracies. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that's a good one. To keep. I mean, yeah. Also, I mean, also, I, I, just to clarify, no white supremacists here. Yep, no white supremacists. I am happy to report that my childhood kung fu class was run by two black people. One of them being like basically my uncle. So no white supremacists there. <laughs> I was going to say it would it would really fucking surprise me, Reed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the, the, the grand the grand summary of this is that uh, the martial arts community attracts a lot of freakazoids. Yes, yeah. it and does. Not in, and, not, and not in like the Sean O'Hare way. <laughs> the bad way. Uh, it's a shame that some of the alumni of Shuto are exactly like that. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Jake Shields. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing to me is the culmination of... I don't know how much more time you want to spend on Shuto since it's... Oh, kind it. of doing its own it's kind of doing its own thing yes. most of this but the culmination is like because like like i said i'm following my charlie day conspiracy board of like shudo will be largely not consequential until it is if that makes any sense exactly and that it kind of it kind of goes and does its own thing but then a very certain event it will put on called valley tudo japan mm. will completely fuck the rest of uh, Japanese pro wrestling because like Valley Tudo Japan was like Valley Tudo is uh, means free fighting over yeah. in Brazil it's like a lot of the origins of early MMA fuck the Gracies um, and it ended up like I guess delegitimizing a lot of the techniques that they were doing in pro wrestling yeah and so yeah. Sayama importing that to Japan will fuck over like a lot of the guys that he was mad at, like uh, Takata and Maeda. So it's almost the ultimate act of revenge that he goes on to hold Valley Tudo Japan, still in a tiger mask. Um, yes, and doing that. It, 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 it's in, it's just incredible, honestly. I, I, I think it's going to be a, he is in a tiger mask unless noted. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, though, how many in, in Valley Tudo Japan, how. How many of the progenitors of what we know of, of as mixed martial arts were in those those tournaments in the early days? In the ninety four one, we have Ricks and Gracie. <laughs> yeah, but like as we get through, we have like Dan Seven, we have Craig Pittman, we have Flipping Royal Gracie. Uh, we have it's just all of them basically that you come to know as we get more into it of course and most we get of course to the other promotions are within Valley Chudo Japan and of course well, say are Frank Shamrock Frank Shamrock Frank yeah. Trigg Randy Couture uh the Nagaras uh, uh Vladimir Matushenko all of those basically all of those guys that we know as kind of like the the the, the starting people for MMA were in Valley Chudo Japan so again as I said Basically, Valley Tudo just fucked everything. <laughs> it's it's the, just say for the rest of the podcast. Whenever, uh, whenever uh, Sayama is mentioned, parentheses, he's still in the mask. Yeah. And whenever the Gracies are mentioned, parentheses, fuck the Gracies. Just yes. Save some time. Yes. All right. So, so, what was Akira Maeda doing 
at this oh, time. Boy. <laughs> so it's proof that, well, Maeda's suspended and fired. Proof that Maeda is, uh, in in no short terms, I think uh, that you put in your notes, Squill, Maeda is a dick. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. And he goes to form his own promotion known as Fighting Network Rings. And it's fucking awesome. I'm it's, just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's many Genesis's. It still it makes it really freaking awesome because it starts as a pro wrestling promotion, then evolves into an MMA promotion, and then gets revived, I think, about 2008? Kind of, I like think that. somewhere about that. But it's amazing because, of course, it starts off as a basic bare-bones, shoot-style pro wrestling promotion, and eventually in the mid-90s, seeing the success of other promotions that are about UW, well, as we get into UWFI, uh, Shuto and Pancrace, Maeda's like, Maeda's like, okay, screw it. We need to do something right now. <laughs> we need to say, we need to change everything we thought I was gonna go with, and we're just gonna make it pure shoot. And I will say, like, the original UWFI has like a lot of matches people really love. Um, and like the original UWF, it's got some good stuff. Rings, I think, like just in the pro wrestling rings is, like, some of the first, like, truly great, like, work we'll see from here, just in terms of, like, matches I would recommend you to watch. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, here's the funny thing, and this will make Dan and Reardon laugh especially. Maeda's inspiration for the ring system in terms of uh, who to get Who's in, and how to, you know, structure the fights, who to structure bringing in the gaijins as well. He took heavy inspiration from two different organizations the nwa and fifa oh my gosh (laughs) now the key part here is that using fifa as a template for an organization is one of the possibly worst things you could do (laughs) i would like to remind people fifa the almost comically well-known corrupt sports body And speaking of corruption, don't look into Maeda's fights once they start holding uh, supposedly non-fixed fights. Don't look into those. Don't worry about it, Chief. It's completely fine. (laughs) But to talk about some of the people that were in this company uh, when it became more shoot-style, holy gosh, it is like the who's who of of mixed martial arts. It's like we've got Alistair Overeem, We've got flipping Fedor Malianenko. Uh, again, we've got da- uh, Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, the Nagueras, Renzo Gracie. Fuck the Gracies. Yep. <laughs> you even had a couple of UK guys. I mean, not very well known UK say, guys, but UK guys well nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> but no, again, yeah. of course, we, in terms of the Japanese stuff, uh, Japanese roster, Maeda, of course, up top, as school said. Don't look into Kira Maeda's fights. Because <laughs> if you if you really want to see what true match fixing looks like, <laughs> there are two different examples. Most of Maeda's matches are Takada versus Mark Coleman. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if we're going to talk about Takada Coleman later, that is the greatest match fixing, I think, ever. Once we get to, like, once we get to Pride, oh boy. <laughs> We're going to talk about that and then some. But in, in terms of like, like I say, it all sounds bad, but honestly, Rings actually, for some of the matches and the tournaments it put on, like the Mega Battle tournaments it put on, 
they were kind of awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I was gonna, well, I was gonna say because like I have seen I have seen quite a, like a fair bit of rings at least from what has been shared to me. Mm. There's like guys like Tamura. I love Tamura. He's really good. Yes. Oh, and Tamura the, Volcan. The, I was gonna say the stud Volcan. Oh. Love love it. Basically, in Volcan. Do you know who Volcan's famous student was? Um. Oh, who was it? Um. Fucking Fedor Emelianenko, yes, baby. Yes, that's it. Yep, it was Fedor. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, which is so. It's awesome to me that like what we see today in the modern MMA scene is there's like a lot of talk and like mythologizing around guys like Habib, um, who have that sambo style, and seeing Volkan work that exact like same ethos in pro wrestling mm. in like the fucking early nineties <laughs> is the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. Uh, as we all know, though the Again, greatest the greatest practice is like looking into a mirror that's showing you the future that doesn't quite exist yet. <laughs> As we know, though, the greatest practitioner of Sambo was Vladimir Kozlov. <laughs> Pringles in a bowl. <laughs> Indeed, Pringles in a bowl, there. <laughs> Alrighty, so... We're still, we're still in the disillusion and the splitting of UWF here, as we talk about what in the world is Nobuhiko Takada getting up to. <laughs> oh boy. Absolute so it takes him a... Shit. <laughs> It takes him, what, like a solid year before he goes back to New Japan yep. and then decides it is within one, because UWFY starts in 91, right? Yes. Think so? Okay, so it takes him basically a year before he goes back and he's like, well, I want to start my own UWF with Blackjack and Hookers because that was <laughs> not good enough. That's again. That basically is the essence of like so many Japanese splinter promotions. Just Genichiro Tenryu being like, "Nah, fuck this. <laughs> I want something for myself." But one for- year though. Yeah. One year. It's like he couldn't put up with Anoki for one year. <laughs> Which I think is the mark of. I think he and Anoki are probably just too much alike. I was gonna say they are two sides yeah. of the exact same I was coin. Say, it, 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 it's just. I can just picture Inoki and Takada having a conversation and both immediately turning around and I fucking hate that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And and so we get UWFI, which is UWF again, but it's also got this... um, I mean, you could say UWF had some spite to it, but I, I guess there's... The original UWF, I characterized a little bit more some idealism mm. of like them trying to make this uh, real pro wrestling. But what Takata goes on to do is 100% spite, in which he, this is the point in which he gets a title for the UWF. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he calls it the real pro wrestling title. Which because this is real and not thick. If, 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 if memory serves me correct, it's the world title that Lou Fez held on to as well. And it also. Yeah, a gifted to Takada is like, no, that's that's your title. You could use that as your world title. This is the real world championship. This, this is this is the shit that I love because calling it the real pro wrestling world's title is just so fucking petty. <laughs> it is just like, well, and just the idea that he immediately brings in Vader to uh, like fight him for it yeah. is like. It, to me, is amazing of, like, no, no, this is real. Not that, like, stupid fake pro wrestling shit. Here's a man in a mask named Super Vader. 
<laughs> who just goes and you know just 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 wrestles me like he would usually wrestle, except he just gives me open palm slaps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just the fucking concept of it. We it's, talk about this as all if it sounds like we don't like this, but can I just no, say, I love it. UWF I rules. Awesome. No, 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 there's going to be a there's going to be a mental disconnect through most of this. Almost all of the promotions mentioned here, I love dearly. The just the the politics around it are fucking hilarious. No, this is this is the thing though, because when I describe to people like GWFI, I'm like, okay, so here's some professional wrestling which is masquerading as real combat sports, which still doesn't exist yet. Yeah, which at the time doesn't exist, but they're all completely convinced that this is real. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the only time the wrestlers thought it was real. <laughs> so, you see, on paper, right, UWFI sounds amazing, right? Of course, Takada's there. Billy Robinson's the head trainer for the gym. See, look, it's all it's all perfectly set up. Lou Fez and Danny Hall are still hanging around. Yep. Uh, Fez, uh, Lou Fez and Danny Hodge serve occasionally as trainers, but also as kind of the, the UWF board. Which I just find a little bit funny. It's like Billy Robertson, Lou Fez, Danny Hodge are the board members of the UWF. <laughs> and are usually there when a title match is at hand. And of course, yes. Here's the roster of people that were in this company. Okay. Nobuhiko Takada is up top and will always yeah. be up top. <laughs> yeah, because he's not going to He's never going to put his name anywhere but the top billing. That's where he belongs. Exactly. Kazushi Sakuraba. Based. Yoshihiro Takayama. Fucking based. based. Koji Katao. <laughs> Wasn't Koji Katao a sumo wrestler? Yes, he was. Yes. There's always at least one in these promotions. <laughs> Masahito Kakahara. And in terms of, like, those are just a few of the natives. In terms of the foreigners, though, Super Vader. Gary, Again, this is this is completely real pro wrestling. This is completely real combat sports. Anyway, here's Vader. Gary, also no. Oh, no. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Uh, in terms of, sorry, sorry. I keep <laughs> no squill. Go ahead. for it. <laughs> okay. I'll also know in terms of the natives. He was a little bit in New Japan. He was a little bit. In a little bit in UWF, kind of the periphery, but there's this there's this new face that's kind of in the oh, native worker. Oh gosh. he's young, he's handsome, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy, oh no. And we talk. I mean, we've talked about, and you two know, you two know how handsome Minoru Suzuki was in the in the nineties. Incredible. He's an actual so. model. Yeah. He, oh. he 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 uh, he did model work for Feeler in Japan. Yep. Yeah. So, in the modern day, that's a par, but in the 90s, that's, like, top billing. Okay, who have we got for foreigners? Super Vader. Gary Albright. See, <laughs> See this is the thing, right? <laughs> because you go through the list of people, and what I love is the first one, Vader. And he's... then you just get... <laughs> but then you get Gary Albright, who I'm fairly sure was an amateur wrestler. Yes. Oh, yes. Goof in there. Uh, uh, Dan Seven. Yep. Who's on track for the proto UFC? Victor uh, Zangief, and and then Hashimikov, who are both um, Russian Olympic wrestlers. As as yeah. everyone knows, Victor Zangief was the direct inspiration for Zangief in Street Fighter. Yeah, the oh. I, the Iron oh. Sheik. 
Bobby Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, no, no, back up, back up, back up. It what year is this? This is this is the Okay, so the moment you said nineties I knew. Why are you hiring Sheik? He can't walk. Because just because he was a former he was a former former Iranian world champion of wrestling. I mean, he literally was... The hilarious thing about him hate, uh, hating America, like, as the bit, is that he literally did uh, help coach the U.S. Olympic team at one point. Yes! He did what? A, yeah, yep. the Iron Sheik... Yeah, the Iron Sheik was first... Uh, he basically... He couldn't make the... So for the longest time, uh, Iran, or, like... Uh, I mean, some people from there call it Persia, but they had the best like, the best amateur wrestling team, even more so than the U.S., which, mm. you know, U.S. and Russia tend to dominate today. But he literally could not make it on the uh, the Iranian team, so he then went to the U.S. and helped coach theirs. Oh, my God. This is the Iron Sheik. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he, uh, he one of his most notable matches in UWF uh, uh, I was a tap-out loss to Yoji Anjo in about 5 minutes 30, I believe it was. <laughs> Um, but who who else do we have? Bob Backlund. Who, by the way, yeah. if you've not seen those matches, those matches go hard. Bob Backlund, as they most do. people, even though he was WWF champion, that guy can go, and he is a he is a shooter in every He's sense a of the bad world. Bad motherfucker, yeah. Uh, bad news, Brown. Oh yeah, base. <laughs> yeah, and, and I will be here and say I have watched one of his matches from UWFI. Oh, shit's fucking awesome. <laughs> a person we've watched a UWFI match on, Norman Smiley. Oh, I, I was guess. waiting for him to be mentioned. What a fucking beast that guy was in Japan. Dude, fucking awesome. I still say this. One of the most underrated and underappreciated wrestlers of our time is Norman Smiley. Yeah, I mean... You could fucking go... <laughs> And shout out to how not racist Japan was to him in a yeah, rare move. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Damn. So yeah, all of that, all of this being said, again, as crazy as it was, the the, the title and, and and UWFI in general was, it did go and it had some great matches. Of course, the trilogy of matches between Takara and Vader are something that is definitely like revered and something that you all should definitely watch. If not, go watch Andos's uh video essay, most recent yeah. video essay on the trilogy of matches, which I edited the title sequence for. Nudge nudge wink wink. <laughs> Gameless plug. Hey, the game is the game, brother. Yep, yep. Oh, the game how you play it. Exactly. Oh god no. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, right? UWFI as well, just a fun little thing before we end our chapter here on UWFI. They were the only shoot company at the time that had a licensed video game. Neat. <laughs> that is How was it? Based. Um, it was... Any good? No, that it was... Have had to have been, what, like... 90... It was 95. It was for the Super Famicom, published oh, by okay. Hudson Soft. It was called Psycho. I was going to say... Uh, Takada Nobuhiko. Basically, Takada was the only licensed gay character, of course, in the game, and was uh, was uh, during in terms of the arcade mode was the only person that you could play as. 
Just like the FMW game, so, where you could only play as Onita. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this. Um, I found a translated version of the uh, the page for that, mm. uh, and all I have to say is that the one of the names created for people was Big Nova Geiger, who I can only assume is Vader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to get into the... So we're going to talk about the downfall of UWFI. Oh, shall we? So let's talk... And how it's like... I mean, it involves again, Chosu. Yes. Again, I think is 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 the essence of the downfall just Nobuhiko Takada could not get over himself. <laughs> well, it basically that and a lot of... Well, a lot of financial problems as well. <laughs> that so, is always the way. So 1995... The UWF5 bookers proposed a cross-promotion event with New Japan Pro Wrestling as a potential solution to their dwindling finances. Ricky the, Chos- company that, the company, all once again, four years ago, they left it in like a bad on bad terms after they had the UWF <laughs> one one year back in New Japan, comes back and makes their own promotion after that. I just want to reiterate how like condensed this time frame is <laughs> again wrestlers are petty except when the except when the bag comes along <laughs> so the head booker of new japan ricky choshu agreed under one strict condition new japan have full control over the booking of the intra-promotional matches i'm sure nothing wrong can come from this so, Lou Fez, seeing this and seeing the uh, this uh, co-promotion uh, form, leaves and redraw- withdraws his support from UWF file, uh, UWF Isle, uh, I, and as a result, decides to take the real world championship back with him. <laughs> Unfathomably based. And the coolest for- thing since Brock Lesnar held the IWGP exactly. Uh, title for Ricky Choshu, though, he's gone on record as to say he saw this as an opportunity to get revenge for Lufez and Takada's earlier <laughs> derision of their wrestling style. We'll pay for your indiscretions. And decided oh, to book them kind of like Vince booked WCW <laughs> during the invasion. Oh, oh dear. So, he really just says, nah, fuck all of y'all. <laughs> Here's the only exception. I guess you could call the exception being this was the Steve Austin moment winning the title was that Takada was the only one that was booked strong and indeed was the one who won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship on the January 4th 96 show. As much as we will uh, we have and will continue to make fun of Takada throughout all this it cannot be said enough he it was immensely talented and a pretty big draw at the time. This is true. This is very, very true. Like, I, I, I joke. I joke with the guy. But those matches with Vader did draw like, a huge amount for them. <laughs> and there was... It's kind of similar... It's a similar thing of Tenryu. Uh, obviously not to the same extent, but just, like, Tenryu was a massive draw. And, like, his companies always ran into um, financial problems. But when he was on the card, he could typically, like, pop a you know, good number on that kind of stuff. So it's a similar thing of just this roving, like, madman who's just making promotions, killing promotions, but he has enough talent and enough name recognition, he can just kind of will things into existence. 
Exactly. Exactly. So after that interpromotional feud died down and Eric Bischoff took it as his idea for the genesis of the NWO, UWFI would then form an alliance, funnily enough, with Tenryu's war promotion. And they're all dying. Just, just go to another guy who hasn't a problem with New Japan. <laughs> exactly. But at this, at this point, I feel like they're fucking dime a dozen. <laughs> they would have their final farewell show on December the 27th, 1996 at Korakuen Hall. Um, I think the, uh, the, the show was called UWF Final. And basically from that point, most of the US UWFI roster splintered into different sorts of promotions. Some of them would end up having a little bit of a, a time in UFC. Most of them to go would go on to form another promotion, which we'll get into in a moment. <laughs> but I actually think, by the way, oh, real quickly, I was just going to suggest the path here of, I think Kingdom and Pride should be the finale. Exactly. So we should probably go into, yeah. We should probably go into what Fujiwara and his boys were in before then. Oh, you read, you read my mind. What is, yeah. what is, okay, just, just keep going. I want to, what, what is this? Okay, so, yeah. what was Yoshiaki Fujiwara doing this time? <laughs> <laughs> he formed his own group known as Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi. Name rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it's Moto This is how, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. This is starting to sound like, are they just making gangs? Yes. Because this feels like they're just... This oh, is, okay. This is pro wrestling <laughs> gang warfare. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so here's their, here's their easily non-copyright motto was one for all and all for one. Wait a second, where have I heard that before? Nowhere. They made it up. Ah, oh, yes. Yoshiaki, Yoshiaki D'Artagnan. Got it. <laughs> yep. Who founded this company? Ah, yes, the three most insane people I think in all of Japanese wrestling: Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Matsukatsu Funaki, and the and the devilish handsome man himself, Minoru Suzuki. Man, that is a that is both insanity and just a lot of talent in like one like booking room. Yeah. I can only imagine just how much slapping across the face happened during board meetings. <laughs> well, it's like if there's anything of like, um, did you see the, there was a, last year there was a six man for the New Japan uh, anniversary show. Yes. In I... which, uh, yeah, Fujiwara is just like calling Suzuki a young boy. Like he's like the only, now that Carl Gotch is dead, he's like the only person on earth who could still do that. Yeah. <laughs> It was like the dad squabbling against his son. It's like you may be you may be old and established, but I'm still around, so <laughs> shut the hell up. Oh, <laughs> uh, so again, this company wasn't around for very long, around the same time period as UWF. Oh my god, I'm so surprised. <laughs> and was considered the more the smaller out of the offshoot companies that we've talked about. But it did have a loaded quite roster. A, it had a loaded yeah. roster. So Fujiwara. Matsukatsu Funaki, Minoru Suzuki, Kazuo Takahashi, Yuki Ishikawa. <laughs> Fucking goat right there. Yeah. Minoru Tanaka, Ken Shamrock, Joe Malenko, Jerry Flynn. Oh, wait, this gets worse. Uh, Glenn Jacob. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will note that uh, I believe around this time they were forcing Ken Shamrock to call himself Wayne Shamrock. Wayne Shamrock, yes, as a as a way right. to have it roll off the tongue a little easier, I believe, as well. And it's apparently it sounded a lot more uh, American. <laughs> yeah, Wayne Shamrock. I, I can't yeah. lie. Whenever I, I cannot think of the name Wayne being American in any way. Is it because of Wayne Rooney? No, that name is aggressively British to me. <laughs> All right, Wayne. All right, my name's yeah. my name's Wayne Shamrock. <laughs> my name's Wayne. Well, it just sounds. It just sounds. Well, the issue is you just. Well, like Shamrock is just such an Irish name. So how are you gonna really like try to turn that into America? Yeah. You see. You see. It's like well, it's like there's a fighter right now, Sean O'Malley. Despite yeah. being American, he is the most aggressively Irish name in the world. Somewhere, yeah. Conor McGregor is incredibly fucking jealous that he's more Irish yeah. than he is. And he should, and he remains jealous. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Your name can be Conor, can be Conor McGregor, which is incredibly Irish as a name. But but Nothing Sean O'Malley, O'Malley <laughs> is another level. So not again, not much really. Again, as it was the small of the promotions, not much really kind of happened in terms of like movers and shakers within the company. But they did have some really successful shows. One of them was actually at the Tokyo Dome in October of 1992, which was attended by 40,000 people. Jesus Christ. It was... If I, like... oh, God, God, if I had God. a time machine, I would use it for very nefarious purposes. And a lot of them would be attending historical pro wrestling shows. Because, yes. man, the, the environment of fucking... 40,000 people for a pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi show. I have to see what that's like. This yeah. was headlined in the main event of Matsukatsu Funaki versus Maurice Smith. Nice. That is what so about five minutes? About five minutes, yeah. So, whilst we've t- mentioned him, Swill, would you like to, uh, uh, like, give these two kind of like a bare description of, of Matsukatsu Funaki? <laughs> To the uninitiated as well, listening. Oh, no, I, I, I know Matsukatsu Funaki. Oh, at least to Reardon, then. Basically, what is... Who is Matsukatsu Funaki? Funaki is, like... If you took all... Like, like so, like... Suzuki, obviously, is the more famous of the two of who would come out of this, like, Fujiwara Gumi and uh, Pancrase. But he is, like, just as much, like, kind of the... Like the like kind of lovable gremlin man that we love about Suzuki but like turned up to 11 and arguably like a much better shoot fighter so he's just like yeah he's somewhere he's exactly that same breed of psycho that um we love Suzuki for just gets less of the recognition for it yeah one of the most prominent names of the next company we'll be talking about oh boy dare i say more successful and still wrestling to this day i mean most yeah. recently, he was GHC national champion in Noah. <laughs> yeah, and he's going to be right. fighting uh, Josh, Josh Barnett. Barnett right? He's fighting Which, like, Josh Barnett. Well, yeah, Funaki, arguably the best fighter out of Pancrase, like of the native talent. And yeah, probably a, a very similar level of a good pro wrestler to like, he stacks up with like Suzuki and. Fucking yeah, he's still gonna be going for like eight hundred years, right? Okay. okay. So well, I was gonna say Fujiwara is seventy four. Yes, and he is still like he had like three or four matches last year, 
and they were all at least watchable. So we're in for a bit with Suzuki and Funaki. All I'm saying, like, with those matches, Reardon, is they were more watchable. They actually were entertaining, unlike Ric Flair's last match. And that's saying oh, wow. something. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Fujiwara, last, Fujiwara last year, he was in the ring with, it was Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, and Tatsumi Fujinami versus ZSJ, Minoru Suzuki, and Fujiwara. Fujiwara managed to steal the show at, like, 73. And the man right. made the Fujiwara armbar, so his legend is forever, ever imprinted on professional wrestling. <laughs> Banned in most BJJ competitions as well. Yes, it is. So, what happened to uh, pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi? Well, in the in that well, a couple of months after that Tokyo Dome show, Suzuki Funaki and Yusuke Fuke would leave the promotion over Fujiwara's decision to send his talent over to appear for Super World of Sports, Universal Lucha Libre, and Wing. Basically, just kind of going away from what was making PWFG its own thing, its shoot-style uh, tendencies. These two, these three, I should say, would go on to form but the part that I've been looking forward to the most, actually, Pancrace. Oh, God. Man. Let's Pan fucking go. <laughs> Now we're talking about um trying to like create uh trying to imitate a sport that doesn't exist yet. Pancrace is beautiful to me for this because it is for all intents and purposes, if there's anyone's unfamiliar, it is like if you fought like an MMA fight, you know, today, you're in a cage, you know, rounds, NACA or submission. Pancrace is MMA, but if you fought them under pro wrestling rules for the most part. So there's rope breaks. Like, you imagine if today, if Charles Oliveira had somebody in an armbar, and they could fucking grab a rope, and then they would just get, like, stood back up. That is insane. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's like, it is. it's so freaking cool as well. And it's just, it's one of, for me, in terms of the puro, that's this era, it's the most, it's the most watch, the one you can go back and watch the most and still get it. Yeah. And it very much is what something that's fascinating to me is like Pancrase was like mostly worked. It was I think mm. I heard the thing for throughout its lifetime, or at least early on it was about I think they said like seventy percent worked. And as guys like Boss Rutin emerge, it becomes less and less so because Boss Rutin was not gonna fucking uh participate in a in a work. Well, he famously said that it's like, if it's advertised as pro wrestling, I'll do it. But if it's advertised as real, then it's going to be real. Mm. Mm. What an unfathomably based mindset. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> and so what's the concept that's fascinating to me about Pancrase is the idea of there were fights where only parts of the fights would be worked. Mm. And that, like, pro wrestling audiences, you know, it's like, this is the same if you, uh, it's the problem if you go to an indie show today, especially indie shows in America, where every match is 15 minutes and they only need to be five, usually. Um, where Pancrase were like, well, people, the issue about mar mixed martial arts and any, like, real sport is that it can be unsatisfying, right? Hmm. You could have a, a flash knockout that just ends it. So they had this idea of, like, well, people are going to want to see, like, a 15-minute fight. So we are going to do basically a pro wrestling match for, like, 10 minutes and then start actually fighting <laughs> for the last five. 
That is fucking insane. <laughs> I'm guessing this this will be important later. This will be what, important what later. Is that they basically came up with a concept of, all right, so we're going to do ten minutes of padding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we'll get to it. Well, yeah, because it's literally just like ten minutes of like the most boring mat work because they're still trying to make it look like it's not worked. So the only like really like pro wrestling mat work that you can like work and look somewhat grounded is just like a lot of hand fighting and then like maybe one takedown and like slowly working on the guard. Yeah. It's the it's, stuff that like in a blood sport goes for two minutes. Uh, and then you get into the cool stuff, but here goes ten. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I can't stop watching old pancreas. That's the problem with me. <laughs> there has been stuff I've seen in a pancreas thing, and I've brought into the mat for BJJ the next day just to see if I could get away with it. <laughs> to mix, to like, it's some of the stuff has worked more than I thought it would, which is pretty funny. Is it basically staying in full guard for fifteen minutes just to annoy the person <laughs> below? You? I think I think it's the thing. I think it's the thing of just no one expects it. Oh yeah. So so um. Well, I've caught like, I've caught people like while rolling with like the good old bulldog choke. You know, famous practitioners include Ben Askren and John Moxley. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I've I've hit people with that in like a BJJ roll just because they didn't they were trying to roll through to get to uh you know to get like form a base and just didn't realize I'd hold on to it. And, so there's yeah. something to be said for the stupidity of some of these techniques. And his, oh and, no, I've, 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 that absolutely is. And people because... say pro wrestling isn't useful. <laughs> no, but it, it, it it's it sounds it sounds dumb. But sometimes you find positions out of it. <laughs> well, also, like, hooking the leg as much as, like, a pro wrestling pin is, like, there's a lot of, like, guard passes and shit you can set up by basically looking like you're rolling a guy up. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of... Pancrates was probably the start of some of that because it's a bunch of guys who are trained in catch wrestling ostensibly. And some of them have some degrees of striking. But they're trying to figure out what the, and this is like the real mad science part here, is they're figuring out which pro wrestling techniques suck the least when you're doing it in a shoot fight. <laughs> exactly. Mm. This was basically the melding pot of, okay, we're taking all of the really good parts of pro wrestling and just, and just doing away with the worst parts. Better yet, let's bring in people who know how to strike as well so we can get better and just be all around good fighters. And it's such a a pure pursuit of like like yes they're working it but that's this is nineties Japan you have to, uh, but just the honest pursuit of like what's the best fighting style is such like an idealistic mindset that I really admire about this time period mm. where they're just bringing like Boss Root and your Dutch kickboxer come palm strike us to death we'll have fun. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the promotion where Ken Shamrock, who was also actually the fourth co-founder of Pancrase as well, became kind of well-known across the world and indeed would end up having his massive uh, uh, rise to UFC and eventually would end up yeah. being in the WWF. And it all started here in Pancrase. Uh, and he was lot... a famously great fighter and totally didn't lose a lot. <laughs> Don't worry about uh, it. Unlike his brother, Frank Shamrock. <laughs> Who's actually like an early goat in MMA? He, he like legit really is. Yeah, no, he really was. He was one of the very few people that got that had Baz Baz Rutan's number and then some. 
uh, during the t- during the time of Pancrase. Of course, we mentioned the guy's name, Buzz Rutten. If you don't know who he is, master practitioner of all of those self defense VHSs we had back in the mid in the mid to late nineties. Commentator for Pride, who we get into, but all in all, but quite possibly one of the most likable people in MMA. Yeah, I would dare say. Issue. MMA is so min maxed. Where it's like 90% of the people are completely unlikable, and then like 10%, I just like love them to death. Yes. Yeah. Buzz Root is one of no, them. Normally, what I find with like most combat sports is that just every so often there's just one guy that comes along that just everyone seems to pretty much unilaterally like, and then everyone else is just like up to if you just can stand them or not. There's yeah, there's like hundreds of dickheads. Well, there's like a hundred Jake Shields, and then there's like Max Holloway, who's just like everyone yeah. universally <laughs> loves and is pure. Yes. <laughs> um, who else we got? We got Guy Mezger as well. Murray Smith was there for a short period of time. Of course, this is where Suzuki kind of, I guess, he established his legend as the murder grandpa. Well, he was the he was the murder he was the handsome devil, I would say, at this time. Yeah. Eventually evolving yeah. into the into the into the murder grandpa. But this is where Suzuki got his reputation being fucking scary. Well, it's like what's insane to me is like how young he like I always think about um, which is hard to fathom when Brian Danielson is doing some of his most most critically critically acclaimed work in uh, ROH. He's like in his mid twenties. Suzuki is at a similar age here in Pancrase. Wow. It's genuinely crazy. (laughs) And again, I would say to you, Reardon, if if you're at all, like, interested, the crazy thing is Pancrase is still going. It's now more of a more traditional mixed martial arts promotion. But if you do want to see it, the legend that he is, Bars Rutan, has all of his Pancrase matches on his YouTube channel. Nice. He's so fucking cool. And he comments, of course, he commentates over them. But it's also really cool, actually, to get his insight into what he was thinking, um, his build up and prep for each matches, the Suzuki ones especially, and the and the and the fights against both Ken and Frank Shamrock are really interesting to listen to. Like in his early career, like, and I would assume most of these are as in his early career. There's a few uh, pretty badly obvious works for suzuki but he's known as like one of the more legit guys in that promotion because of the fact that they just didn't absolutely suck um, <laughs> yes. to yeah. to him. um but he he really is you're talking about his aura is a killer he really gets uh like he really gets um i think the spirit of mma down because not only does he figure out which submissions work because in the beginning of pancrase you see a lot of people trying to go for like head scissors and yeah. like some insane shit that just doesn't really work in context but suzuki both learns that he really likes arm bars and there's a um, there's like a palm strike finish in which he does an mma ground and pound but he's just palm striking the dude to death while yes. on top of him like Suzuki is scary as shit throughout this. <laughs> he j- wow. and that is what again that is kind of made his legend of being one scary mofo. Kind uh, of it all started here. Just to and clarify, like, for as as of time of recording, uh, Pancrase's next event is tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's still uh recently um 
a stardom wrestler, uh, is it Siri? Like, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. her name. Yes. Even though I've read it a hundred times. <laughs> and I, I love her. She's like my favorite Joshi wrestler. I do not know how to say her name out loud. But she famously, she was like, uh, she fought in Pancras like five, ten years back. Hmm. Um, so it's still very much producing uh, pro wrestlers for some reason. Oh, They're yeah, pro- there's producing still plenty mar- coming through. <laughs> They're producing mixed martial artists who then uh, become pro wrestlers for some reason. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that's the thing. Pancreas is very much like a, uh, a, a starting point slash feeder for Japanese MMA. Mm. And even then, most Japanese fighters go to, like... Goes like one, yeah. Rather than the UFC, mm-hmm. you got you got to get that uh, that Singapore bag, you know. Unless you're a sexy Yama, exactly. <laughs> so yes, Pancrase still going strong to this day. Another little, pl- I was gonna say, little tangent here as we go before we get to our ending part of uh, as we get to Kingdom and End Pride. We got to talk about Yuki Ishikawa for a little bit here. Yeah, my fucking boy. Yuki Ishikawa will go on to form uh Battle Arts, um, which no longer is a no longer as a promotion nowadays, but is actually quite a successful uh, string of academies. Actually, matter of fact, I believe there is a Battle Arts Academy opened in Canada, run by Santino Morella. That is interesting. Yes, and I also. One of these academies taught Timothy Thatcher, which yep. is amazing. <laughs> Yuki Shikara is 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 directly responsible for for quite a lot of kind of like guys who are very much uh, grapplers, shoot style wrestlers. Uh, guys still going to this day. He even teamed with Timothy Thatcher in WXW at one point. <laughs> Dude, he is. I I would describe there's a a class of pro wrestler that came out of um, 90s Puro which I would describe as Antonio Inoki cosplayer. And <laughs> of them, Yuki Ishikawa is among the better ones. Yes, I agree on that one. <laughs> He's one of the few guys who like can mm. do it without like an ounce of cynicism, which is what I really appreciate. It surprises a lot of people. I was going to say, it surprised... I think it surprised Reardon, especially when I said the name Santino Morella. But a lot of people don't forget that the guy does have actually a lot of um, experience from from grappling and shoot style, from uh, being trained to battle arts as well. Uh, and he even had a Russian shoot wrestler gimmick over in OVW. That Which is fascinating. Yeah, that is the word. Just absolutely fascinating. I believe this was before he was slapped in the face by Jim Cornette for laughing at the boogeyman. But I don't. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> but man, if if Jim Cornette has a problem with pro wrestling today, I'd love to see his view of '90s Puro. Exactly. <laughs> but I have to say, some of the alumni for bat for the Battle Arts promotion, damn well interesting. So we've got Alexander Atsuka, Bob Backlund. Joe Malenko, Tucker Michinoku, the Road Warriors. Okay. (laughs) That's the one that gets me. (laughs) Speaking of weird carnies, Tucker Michinoku finds his way into everything. Yes, he really does. Again, he is one of those wrestlers that just appears everywhere. And he's like in prominence, like when I have to explain someone who like doesn't 
who's like a primarily an American wrestling fan, and they don't understand like Taka Mishinoku is like Japanese X Pac or something. Like he yeah. just keeps he just keeps kind of he's a cool junior heavyweight, and he just kind of pops up everywhere, and you don't Sam. know why. Mm-hmm. Sam, how many times have we been talking about people on the most random things, and fucking Michael Hayes will come up? Yes. Oh my god. He does yes. come up a lot. How many? He comes up so much. We will be talking about the most random thing, and somehow there will be a way that he comes up. Again, I I, I meme on it about Japanese wrestling, but the amount of times that we've been going through stuff talking about Japanese wrestling, kind of broadly from the late 80s through to about 2000, the amount of times I will hear Sam mention, and now we get to the point where we talk about Genichiro Tenryu. I'm oh, just yeah. like, oh, like, what the fuck at this point? <laughs> have you guys done a Tenryu episode? We haven't. We have not. We I haven't know. in specific, but we did do... Um... Saruta versus Tenryu from 19. Yeah, we did but... Saruta versus Tenryu. All right, well, if I ever get invited back on, that's potential. <laughs> we, can do the ten, we can do the Tenryu retrospective with you. Honestly, oh, Swill, God. that would be freaking awesome. Right, you heard it here, everybody. Guys, we just we made the Tenryu episode. Guys, please, please eventually block out four hours in our calendar. Because oh, <laughs> I will just take any opportunity to talk about this old breed of Japanese carny. They are just the best. <laughs> Again, there's I, I talk about how much I adore the... Uh, the specific breed of kind of like early 90s Japanese wrestler that just seemingly will not die. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also- well, they all just thought, I, I think there's something about Anoki. Uh, like most of these guys, like Tenryu's the exception, but most of these guys were coming out of the New Japan system. Yes. There's something about this like weird, I don't know whether you want to call it a warrior spirit or like, more like like a weird like pioneer attitude that comes out of Inoki, where all these guys just think they can own the world, even though they're just like a random pro wrestler. And it has to go back to like Ricky Dozon or something. It has to. It really has. Because he I mean, was just a bastard. I mean, honestly, and like not to get in really, we could get really into it. It might just be the time. Because the, yeah. remember, this is like this is like the eighties, nineties. The the like um the it's the the bubble hasn't burst properly on the yeah. Japanese economy yet. So like the, at that time, it is it is like looking like oh yeah, we're just gonna be like this forever. Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, I forgot the most notable alumni of Battle Arts, Jeff Hardy. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Repeat. He wrestled. A, he wrestled a. I believe he wrestled a Battle Arts USA show as Willow. Yes. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, you can't just move was, back on that one. That was against um, uh, Ikeda. I believe it was. Yeah, it would have been against Daisuke Ikeda. Yeah. I want to see Jeff Hardy attempt like just one arm bar. I want to see what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I no, don't know what you, that looks like. I, I will like. say, I have seen video from that Ikeda Hardy match, and my god, it's rough. <laughs> yeah, that's that is a place. I love Jeff Hardy. That is a place not built for Jeff Hardy. <laughs> what year Jeff Hardy is this, by the way? We're talking 1996, so we're talking like Jobber Jeff Hardy. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> 
What's over, I'm like? not sure which would be worse, which would be like, I can't, I don't know whether like Impact Jeff Hardy or like Jobber Jeff Hardy would do a worse job in Battle Arts. <laughs> That's a good question though. <laughs> Shall we get to the ending here then? So that we're, we're oh, at yeah. the final stretch. Should we, should we talk about Kingdom and Pride Fighting Championships? And this is kind of where the repercussions that we had from, uh, we're talking about Valley Tudo Japan. Well, th this section is Tiger Mask's, like, last laugh, like, his revenge on, uh, I'm because sorry. he basically, he basically ruins Takata indirectly. Yeah. yeah. I've, the, the, the revenge of Tiger Mask sounds like the most greatest movie ever made. It's the, it's the, it's the offshoot manga of Tiger Mask that was never created. It's... It sounds like something. It sounds like um. It sounds like a manga made by Go Nagai. Like <laughs> just shout out the Go friend of the park Go Nagai. I'm calling it now. I don't care. <laughs> Love some Go Nagai. Anyway, so, so Kingdom starts in 1997. Basically, as the direct kind of descendant of UWFI. Basically, all of the peeps that were there. Uh, at the last vestiges of UWFI, Takada, Anjo, Sakuraba, uh, Matsui, Sano, Kakahara, Takiyama, Yamamoto, and Kanahara, all of them decide, you know what, let's just continue what we're doing. And instead of that, we'll just make it, we'll just call it Kingdom Professional Wrestling. <laughs> so as to differentiate ourselves. They should have seen the end was coming. Like, <laughs> to be completely honest, of like... How many promo failed promotions have we been through at this point? Like, I, it's very much like a dinosaur uh, kingdom towards its like later times of mm. like at least the mentality they're coming into it with. Mm. We're talking about this time where now Valley Tudo, uh, Valley Tudo to Japan is really now becoming hugely popular, and now we're seeing shoots like shoot style wrestling what was going on with uwfi really kind of souring amongst the fan uh, the japanese fans and so basically they were fighting a losing battle in this regard <laughs> like after after uwfi folded i they should have known that uh <laughs> yeah. it was going in the wrong way <laughs> so because of all of those factors they were looking to have kind of like um using talent from battle arts trying to use some cross promotion with them that just didn't work out didn't like move the needle in any way shape or form and they lasted less than a year eventually yeah. going out in march 1998 and so this indirectly leads to takada who by the time had opened up his own dojo known as the takada joe dojo to to issue a challenge to the Gracies. I can't tell whether... For, side note, I just want to say, I can't tell whether I would love or hate training at Takata Dojo. <laughs> I feel probably like, hate I feel it. Like it. Well, I feel like it'd be a nightmare, but I also feel like you'd learn some things, like, not about martial arts, but just about, like, life, life. <laughs> uh, from Takata in a way he didn't intend you to. Mm. <laughs> exactly. What, do you think? do you think that he could, like, do you think that he can, like, put you in a hold and you just reach enlightenment while you pass out? No, no, I think, like, he would be like, um, there's a uh, rival dojo opening across the street. Go break into it for me. That's what I think. I have this vision of Takada running his dojo, and he's like, okay, 
I'm now going to show you how to do a leg lock, and then you can just like stand up out of it. Yeah, <laughs> I will give him this. The I would say the only the only reason as to why the dojo is probably still going is because Sakuraba uh, became incredibly successful to the point he actually became the as I think he was actually a. Um, he was a replacement for someone during the UFC Ultimate Japan tournament, and he would go on to win the tournament. Mm -hmm. Absolute legend. Absolute legend. Yeah, he was doing this before we even get to Pride. He so basically Sakuraba would just basically Takada hung all of all of the dojo's hopes on Sakuraba at this point, and it paid off. And it absolutely did pay off. But so here we are. The story of how Pride became to be. Rickson Gracie is becoming the most prominent name, I guess, within this Valet Chudo, uh, this Valet Chudo MMA boom. He's been the prominent person within Valet Chudo Japan, beating people left, right, and center in the tournaments of '94 and '95. One of the least objectionable Gracies, I'll also say, yes. in his credit. Before all of this was uh, was eventually going to happen. I think it was Yoji Anjo um, did decided in honor of Nobuhiko Takada to storm Ricks and Gracie's gym in Los Angeles as a way to challenge the Gracies to a to a shoot style match. Oh my god! Come on, you can't you can't do that to the people that have already been doing that. Anjo yeah. got his ass handed to him. I don't know how, by the way, because Yoji Anjo was like. He was a large man, mm. and most of these Gracies were like three pounds. I don't know if they just if he tried to fight all of them at once, yes, or something. Or... <laughs> yeah, I guess he did. I can't understand it other than that. The, the, the... Like I don't know. You seen like like Hoist Gracie in uh, UFC one? Mm. Dude's like one seventy. Yeah. Like I don't. You know how Japanese wrestlers used to be built? I don't know how they kicked his ass. <laughs> It must have been just... I uh, like they all just piled on him with jiu-jitsu. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe, like... maybe, maybe he just couldn't handle, like, like maybe they, maybe Gracie's, the Gracie's were further along with MMA than he anticipated, See, I don't know. What it was, was that actually Anjo was um, a sumo wrestler and was not prepared for 17 people butt-scooting at him. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, and imagine, yeah, you know what, I, I would say that. I would say that. And so... With this, I'm just gonna. I was just gonna say real quickly. I was just gonna put a picture of Yoji Anjo in the in the chat. Hence my confusion. Yes. Of that <laughs> is Yoji Anjo. And so the beating was so bad and so embarrassing that it ended up making mainstream news in Japan. Oh boy. And this kind of goaded Takada to actually finally fight for Anjo's honor, and thus we get the very first Pride event. With the main event being Nabahiko Takada versus Rickson Gracie. The name Pride sort of makes sense now when you think about yeah. it. You know what? Yeah. You know what? And also, also, I know this is very late in the episode, but I gotta say it. Happy Pride, everyone. This tracks. <laughs> this tracks. <laughs> it all comes around. This makes me laugh. So I've had I went and watched the very first Pride card for this uh for this episode. Took place October 11th, 1997, at the Tokyo Dome. 47,000 people packed the Tokyo Dome for this to see, right, who was on the card. We had Gary Goodridge, 
All right, Renzo yeah, Gracie. Mm-hmm. Koji Katal versus Nathan Jones. Whoa. Okay. As in, you know, as in Colossus of Boggo Road, the guy couldn't wrestle for Toffee, Nathan Jones, that we talked about last week. Yes. <laughs> the guy that is now the extra, the big burly bloke in every kind of action epic movie. You know, uh, Troy, the big Mad Max Fury Road, that Nathan Jones. Greatest wrestler of all time. <laughs> exactly. Kimo Leopoldo versus Dan Seven in the penultimate match, which ended up in a 30-minute draw. Sure, and, that was a really good time. Oh my god, it was it was long. It was long to watch. Mm. Mostly because like Kimo wasn't known for that sort of thing, as everyone knows. <laughs> Kimo was jive freaking enormous, and you just knew that he had he had cereal in, but instead of milk, he just had steroids with his cereal. That was Kimo. That's Kimo. He, was on, he was on the uh, the forbidden pre workout. Yes, I just can't imagine Dan Severn doing anything for thirty minutes. <laughs> I don't know, except sweating in his grey shirt. Yeah. Oh man, could you imagine that mustache sweat on you for 30 minutes? Oh, <laughs> like, okay, so like a lot of amateur wrestling, like when you get like a front headlock, you're just grabbing like a handful of beard when you do that. I can't imagine if you got a, like a handful of Dan Severn mustache. This reminds me, oh, I'm going to go off on a tangent. This reminds me of the story of what Forrest Griffin said about his debut match against Dan Severn. He oh, when he was Christ. in the when he was in the clinch and in the guard with him, Forrest Griffin would say, "Look at your stupid little fat mustache. What are you fucking Tom Selleck? What are you Freddie oh, Mercury?" Wow. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, no, you know what the worst he part did not is? win that. No, he got his nose broken by that. <laughs> yeah, I love about, I... what I love about that though is that such a random thing to make you say. What are you, you, you fucking Tom Selleck, dude? You fucking Tom Selleck. <laughs> you look cool. Yeah. All I'm saying is that makes me like Forrest Griffin even more as a mixed martial artist. <laughs> if you just be there, you got a cool mustache, fucking Tom's like big fucking deal. <laughs> also, kind of makes me like Dan Severn more for just like just sitting there and breaking his nose over the uh, the time. Oh right. So yes, Nobuhiko Takada lost in very convincing fashion. What a surprise! To Ricks and Gracie in about four minutes forty-seven, due to an armbar submission. Now, pro wrestling was in fact quite weak. Exactly, exactly. Although I will say this: the rulings of what the Gracies, fuck the Gracies, did during this time with Pride were oh, well, sketchy yeah. at best. As yeah. I was going to say, as Forrest has as made note of in his amazing Kazuchi Sakuraba documentary, they really. Like, to, like, really made sure that the their opponents were a distinct disadvantage against them. Oh yeah. Like when I say when I say Hickson was one of like he's le- less objectionable. The main reason I respect Hickson is that he hated the rest of his family. Yes. So I'm giving him a point for that. Yeah. <laughs> At least he's not like his brother who once uh, wrote a autobiography that had apparently, you know, the Gracies can trace their uh, lineage back to to to, to... <laughs> to fucking William Wallace. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I always forget they're Scottish. Yes, I forget. I forgot that the Gracies, fucking Jock Gracie. <laughs> um Yeah, for the for those that don't know about the 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 Gracies like whole thing about 
fights and organizing matches. It's an entire thing. Go read up on it. There's more than we can cover here. It's it's just watch just watch the uh the Sakuraba thing, like you said. Yeah. It's perfect. It's it's generally perfect in that regard. So a couple of things I will talk about with Pride. Of course, they would end up becoming the premier mixed martial arts promotion, not just for Japan. I would dare say they became kind of like the prototypical what promotion, like mixed martial arts promotion for the world. I mean, dare I say, UFC definitely took a lot of inspiration in their presentation at the time from Pride FC. They took the roster once they fought. Oh, oh yeah, they absolutely did take the roster and then some. Um, but in terms of people that we know in modern day mixed martial arts, gosh, every all legend, of all of them, Fedor, uh, Mirko Krokop. Kevin Randleman, who I still say, uh, Kevin Randleman, if he went into pro wrestling, would have been fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. And most of these guys, at least half of them did go into pro wrestling. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, well, gosh, in terms of the pro wrestling side of things, gosh. Well, everyone. Sakuraba. Basically, everyone in New Japan from about two thousand one. Bob motherfucking Sap. Bob Sap. IWGP Heavyweight World Champion Bob Sap. Or you may know him better as Swatowski from The Longest Yard. Um, <laughs> Equally whoa. prestigious oh, accomplishments. Okay. Now, okay. great to know, Sue. <laughs> I'm like, who the fuck are these guys? Oh, all right. <laughs> Um, gosh, yeah, I mean, anyone who's anyone, Yuji Nagata, Shinsuke Nakamura, fucking Alberto Del Rio as Dos Karras Jr. got his head kicked in by Mirko Krokop in one of the most satisfying Entirely. knockouts I've ever seen. With with the greatest of things, one of the most fucking hilarious MMA matches I've ever seen in my life. Thank God for Mirko Krokop. It, look, it looks like he gets knocked out by the idea of Krokop's kick. <laughs> it's fucking incredible <laughs> now here's the thing as well like talking about all of this Butterbean had a couple of matches in Pride yeah. FC and um, there's that absolutely gonzo one where someone drop kicks him yes what someone's trying to drop kick but... <laughs> yeah. oh, in what world do you think you're moving him <laughs> oh, it's fucking awesome his match I mean, against Bob's... Sean O'Hare was incredible <laughs> I was going to say, Bob Sapp hit Big Dog with a fucking pro wrestling pile driver. Anything yes. could happen in Pride. Um, flipping famously, Rampage Jackson did a ginormous power bomb. He, <laughs> he, a... he, said he created the armbar defense that every single slightly muscly person was ever going to try for the next 25 years. True. This is we, can, still, can... we arguably still haven't moved forward from it. <laughs> I still try it. <laughs> how I... successful are you i get i will honestly like i if you look at that picture of yoji anjo that's actually about how i'm built so what happen is i start to pick them up and then they just stop the arm bar because it's like i'm not gonna i'm not actually gonna slam them but i don't think they want to take that either <laughs> they don't want to take yeah. the risk <laughs> Yeah, because it's like whenever, uh, you know, you roll into jiu-jitsu and you start to get the guy off the ground, they tend to disengage at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about, though, one of my favorite moments and probably one of my favorite matches for just being how silly it is. Yes, I am talking of Yoshihiro Takayama versus Don Fry. Oh, what? dear God. Speaking of, oh, God. Don, Don Fry, per first of all, perfect mustache. 
Um, <laughs> he re- he wrestled in Antonio Inoki's retirement match, which I would actually recommend. It's a good match. It's actually a really good match. Well, because it's honest, because mm. it doesn't isn't just Inoki squashing him. Like Inoki gets a shit beat out of him, and then basically does a a desperation octopus hold and wins. So it's like it's awesome. And uh, he was I... in a Godzilla okay. movie. Yeah, which uh, one? I... Final Wars. Oh, uh, sweet! Can I, yeah. Can I, can I can I please quote one of my favorite Davy Meltman tweets? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. It... <clears throat> It's a guy replying to him and says, I was at that match, it's probably the best memory of my life. And I quote Davy Meltman, <clears throat> Mine was my kids being born and getting awards, sex with people who shall be left unnamed, and Fry versus Takayama. <laughs> <laughs> I love this because it's purely everything I want <laughs> in professional wrestling, and I guess shoot star wrestling, because Fry and Takayama just go into the agreement of, you know what we should do? The opening, we should just wail on each other. And not stop. It, it's it's like when you get those matches with the with the proper stand up guys, and they get like the last ten seconds of a round, and they both just agree, let's just unload on each other for the last ten seconds so and know, just see what happens. So, Ridden, you know, in wrestling, the tried and true method of when people kind of like brawl with one another, they do the collar and elbow and then punch each other at the same time. Yep. Yeah, Takiyama and Fry did this, but shoot. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, oh, sweeties, I'm, I'm, please! I'm, I'm, no. I'm, try- I'm trying to remember the. I'm trying to remember the match. I can't. I mean, at least they do it more convincingly like, than Adam Cole and Chris Jericho there's, do. There's, there's, there's this, there's this UFC undercard match, and they get to like the last like t- 10, 20 seconds of the of the last round, and literally they stand up in front of each other just in stance, and then just stop, just straight on punching each other. <laughs> there's there's no blocking. What's they insane to me about go. What's insane to me about this fight is that by the end, uh Takiyama looks super fucked up, but Fry has eaten about an equal amount of punches, and Fry barely looks like he's like he looks like a guy who went for a jog. Yeah. Like he does not look hurt. It scares the shit out of me. Best part is these two ran it back in in, in pro wrestling as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it even more awesome. <laughs> also, may I just say, send my thoughts to Takiyama, because, of course, he's not been well for quite a while, and, like, yeah. dude, like, send the best out to him, because Takiyama's awesome, and he was awesome as a professional wrestler. He was he was awesome as a pro wrestler, awesome as, like, a car crash MMA fighter. Exactly. But with pride... It... Oh, God, sorry. Sorry, Squirrel. I was just to say, isn't that what you want out of an athlete? Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm also, damn, because I've got to make the joke. Because with the pride comes the fall. You damn right. Uh, and and, all, and also, uh, many, many, many accusations of match fixing. I was going to say, oh, <laughs> yeah. talking of that, let's get on to probably, well, one of Pride's most infamous moments, I guess. It didn't come without controversy, and what better way than talk about it than Takada versus Mark Coleman. Yes, they were still Ooh. trying to push Nabahiku Takada as a, as a big deal. <laughs> oh boy, okay. So, so this is two, I want to say 2,000 around this time. In Pride. Double check that. And so this would actually I believe this was the first tournament that was broadcast in the United States as well. Uh this one. Um this I believe this was the first uh, one that had the commentary. Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. 
had the first commentary of Stephen Quadros and Buzz Rutten, if memory serves. Oh, God. Yeah, Buzz. Um, And basically, okay, Mark Coleman versus Nobuhiko Takada. Now, it was known practice at the time that certain fighters would get together and broker deals such as, okay, um... Would you like to make it more stand-up than less grounded? And they would go to do those agreements, yada yada. Sakuraba once famously said to to, to Gracie, um, hey, uh, would you mind if we did it more kind of like, you know, less grounded, more standing up, to which he was laughed out of the building, and Sakuraba in return said, well, I'm going to kick your ass now. <laughs> and I took that personally. <laughs> in the words of Michael Jordan. He took that personally. So that was always well known that, you know, certain like kind of handshake agreement stipulations would always happen in these ones. But this was the very kind of, I guess, the most noticeable, like noticeable act of match fixing I have ever seen. As, oh, yeah. I think really? Is it, is it really that bad, honestly? It's really oh, yeah. bad. So Takada at this time was known for being pants. <laughs> Right. quite pants at mixed martial arts but he was training he was getting better but he was going up against mark coleman who was known as probably one of the best ground and pound fighters in the world certainly in america as well had wrestling acumen down to a t and knew how to use it in mixed martial arts so basically the thing is if Takar if coleman got takada down this was as good as done right thing is during this match <laughs> Coleman does get Takada down, but Coleman doesn't really do much of anything after taking him down. (laughs) Basically, it's a cuddle contest for a good several minutes during this match. No guard passing, nothing. It's just like, he's just kind of laying on him. And to which you could hear Stephen Quadros and you could particularly Boz Rutten getting miffed on this. Boz is so mad. (laughs) <laughs> he gets like, oh, this is, oh what's happening here? <laughs> Coleman should be on him right now. What's going on? So, in in the most, I, I guess, blink and you'll miss it moment of how in the world did that actually happen? Mark Coleman skipped, I guess, skipped into Nobuhiku Takada to put him in, an, in a heel lock. And Takada got the win. <laughs> Oh it's not even like I-, I could like diagram out this like he he gets it it's not fully locked in when he taps and he does like a the weird little roll once hmm. he has it locked in and well quote unquote locked in he does like a showy like it looks awful once he gets it on and then he does a showy like pro wrestling uh version of a heel hook yes like Buzz Rutten and Steven Quadros know that this isn't fully locked in or does not even look remotely like it's going to hurt. So when Mark Coleman taps out, there's just the that you can hear the the the, the 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 audible confusion and shock that that just happened. And the worst part is, I want to point out that do you know what the fight was immediately preceding this? Oh gosh, what was it? Sakuraba versus Vidor Belfort, like one of my favorite fights ever. Yeah. <laughs> so you had amazing shit on this card. And then you had that. I would recommend people look up that Sakuraba uh, Belfort fight because it is the greatest um, thing of attacking opponent's guard I've ever seen. Yeah. Which is that, so first of all, 
people, because it's a pro wrestling podcast, Vitor Belfort, giant, scary muscle man, right? So he's like, at this point, he's probably like 210, 220. Mm. Sakuraba is like 170 on a good day. <laughs> and Sakuraba manages to knock Vitor to the ground, and then Vitor throws up his guard, and Sakuraba just decides to jump and stomp on him. Yeah. <laughs> and the it's greatest like, guard pass I've ever seen. Sakuraba is one of those examples of like, when you don't know what the rules are, you come up with a, with ways. <laughs> yeah, basically, I think it's like one of the greatest steel images in all of mixed martial arts is just Sakuraba in midair, ready to plant his feet into Belfort's head. Hey, it was... I Sometimes when I'm sparring people, I wish I could do it too. <laughs> so how did Pride end? Like all good things in Japan, it's the Yakuza. <laughs> Friends of the podcast. <laughs> Friends of the... No, don't say that. No, no. <laughs> For legal reasons, that's a joke. Yeah. I would I would also like to say, this is a thing that is not necessarily confirmed and founded, but there was, like, rumors that a lot of people that were fighting in Pride, both people who were there regularly and people who were brought in, were on the gas. Oh, yeah. Well, it was encouraged. It was heavily encouraged, as a matter of fact. But it's one of those things, though, where everyone involved has been like, what do you mean people were on gas? <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, over, like, obviously, um, uh, like, baseball, historically, big thing in the States, uh, now not so much. And you know why? It's because they took the steroids away, so it's not as interesting. <laughs> and that's really the story of mixed martial arts after Pride. <laughs> but, uh, yes, gas, Yakuza, and unfortunately, Dana White. Uh, <laughs> were all cause for Pride to eventually kind of just fizzle away, merge with the parent company. And I believe it was Dan Henderson actually became the very first interpromotional champion. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, winning Hendo the... was a bad mother. Yeah, he was he, uni... he was the only Pride champ to go back and unify uh, the UFC and Pride titles, uh, but the Pride guy won. Yes. Yes, and shouts Dan Henderson, probably one of the best, one of the best American talents in mixed martial arts ever. Honestly, probably, he's yeah. also just one of the most like. If there's a line between like, I can't tell whether Dana Henderson is stupid or a genius, and it's such like if you listen to an interview <laughs> of him, they're like, "So Dan, what do you you knocked out Michael Bisping after uh, this like really heated feud? What do you think?" And he's like, "I like doing it." You're like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh gosh, it really is. Basically, Dan Henderson is what Kurt Angle would have been if he went into mixed martial arts. And Dan Henderson, and I was going to say Dan Henderson, oh, Kurt Angle was what Dan Henderson would have been if he went into professional wrestling. <laughs> I just don't think Dan Henderson can cut a promo. Do you think he wouldn't sing Jimmy Crack Corn either? Ah, man, I just, I've heard him say, like, five words in his entire uh, fighting career. <laughs> he sounds like every, he sounds like your average Premier League football player. <laughs> Basically, oh, wow. if Dan Henderson said, at the end of the day, I'm over the moon and it's a game of two halves, he's basically in the Premier League. <laughs> so basically, are we saying that Dan Henderson is the David Beckham of mixed martial arts? No, sadly, not Michael, as good looking. He's the Michael Owen of mixed martial arts. Oh, that's even. Oh, that's even worse. 
It, did he slip and now he's and now hates Chelsea? Yes. No, no, Michael, no, Michael, Michael Owen is someone who's both incredibly smart when it comes to business investments and securing his money, and yet also incredibly stupid. <laughs> well, I have I no idea. Like, who that I would like is, to remind definitely you, is, uh, definitely is uh, Anderson. Sorry, to give you a Incredibly summary of one of, of Michael O's most infamous commentary quotes, the team that scores the most goals wins. Oh, no, that's Dan Henderson to a T, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? That, I think that's a good way to end this episode, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that basically is the entire history of how Antonio Inoki Antonio is the one to be blamed for mixed martial arts. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and like some of the greatest and then roundabout after pride folds or in like kind of during it you have like a nokiaism like some of the best dumbest pro wrestling so in a weird like ouroboros kind of way like in japanese puro created mma and then mma came back to like haunt puro with nokiaism in a way i incredibly enjoyed just wasn't you know good for finances at the time Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, Squill, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you so much for helping me not get lost within the within kind of like the just the, the, the tangents and the offshoots of all of these promotions and keeping me on the straight and narrow. Thank you so much for popping in, sir. Hey, it's my pleasure. I will take any excuse to just talk about Takata and his weird... <laughs> mind <laughs> absolutely if you've got anything social medias upcoming stuff uh videos nudge nudge wink wink uh that you have up <laughs> online feel free the, the the time to kind of like just yeah, promote 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 is yours sir yeah pretty much just uh wrestling with the narratives my youtube channel um i just put out the rouge five match primer which has been endorsed by rouge el toro blanco himself so uh, you know, take that other wrestling YouTube uh, channels. <laughs> they don't have Roosh. Uh, <laughs> have Roosh in the on the take. Uh, but yeah, I just put that out. Hopefully, I think the next thing will be a Noki themed. So watch out for that. I just it had to be, happen eventually. <laughs> I'm looking but forward to that, it. It starts oh, and yeah. ends with a Noki. Yes, always. I'll say I've always already talked to Sam about what the intro is going to be for that Anoki video in moi. I'm, I'm looking forward to that eventually happening and coming out, honestly. <laughs> I can only describe the match as Anoki uh, beats Masa Saito to death uh, yeah. for about 25 minutes. I'm so glad that you're doing an entire video. Wrestling. Like uh, an entire video dedicated to that one match. It's, it's oh, I love the it. It's so amazing leading up to it, too. Oh, dang, I'm looking forward to this one. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, but yeah, no, Squill, again, thank you ever so much, buddy. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we will definitely bring you back on for the uh, for the Tenryu episode. Because it's going to happen at one point So <laughs> Tenryu or, or uh, alternatively, if you want to bring me on for like Hustle for more Takada, if that's going to be my thing. I feel like we do need to talk about Hustle because I feel like it would be up Reardon's alley, especially when we come to the subject of Reza Ramon Habge. And dancing Kawada. Yes. <laughs> as, as, has, as has 
as how it has been for this entire episode, you guys are just speaking words to me. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying words that I know, but not in that combination necessarily. Basically, Reardon right is, is like Nick Gage when he saw that thing for Big Gay Brunch and he said, that don't look like Razor Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel smarter or stupider throughout uh, after this, Reardon? Uh, I feel confused and... <laughs> Just, this is just, it's just kind of like watching, it's like watching someone fight in a Burger King. You don't know what to do, but you're just going to watch and just see how it plays out. <laughs> That's pretty, because I was going to say, like, uh, something I forgot to say in the reception of Pride is, like, it started, there was a lot of fixes, and as it went on, there was a category of Pride Fight, which is my favorite, and this is, like, Fry Takayama, this is Sakuraba, like, um, stomping on Vidor Belfort, but of things that were too stupid to be worked, and I think that's kind of the the essence of that hero, uh, that Puro MMA uh, crossover thing. Yeah. Things that were too stupid, that they were just pure in their stupidity. And that's why I will always have a fondness for that time period in Japanese wrestling, honestly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right, uh, before we head off, next episode, one I'm very much looking forward to, it's time to bring on our dear friend of the podcast, Mr. Dino Winwood, as we talk about the art of the cowboy in wrestling and why it's one of the most enduring gimmicks in all of professional wrestling. That is coming up on the next episode. Until then, I've been Sam. This has been Dan, Reardon, and Swill. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.